but I'm funny how. I mean, funny like I'm a clown. Oh, it's good to be back. I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Yeah, maybe after 9-11 where everybody gets so sensitive. Thanks a lot, Bin Laden. I don't know. You don't know? You mean you are no fucking though. Welcome to Your List Sucks, episode number 67. I'm Kirk Holkowski, your reigning Your List Sucks top 100 champion. After 11 weeks, Cody had the bad idea that you guys wouldn't be sick of me yet, so he's let me host tonight, and it's 70s <laughs> night on YLS. We're talking 70s movies, the best decade for music, the best decade for people to be born in, the best decade for music. All my opinion, <laughs> but we're on the show and I'm in this chair, my opinion becomes fact. So uh, let's let's meet our panel. Uh, I told Cody I would talk about the 70s, and he gave me a bunch of guys born in the late 90s. This will work out great. Uh, let's start out first. Uh, we got uh, – he is the uh, reigning co-champion, uh, Warzone Teams co-champion, representing Australia in tonight's program. It is the gold god, Michael Campbell. Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, very obviously – very nervous, uh, as always, is with YLS uh, anytime I appear on camera. But yeah, should be fun. And I do want to make a note before we start. I made a personal decision to only make it one director uh, like per movie. Mm. So I'll explain why later, but I figured it'd be fun. Let's have some fun. Sounds like mm. a cop-out. We'll see. Also, join us tonight. 70s, what, <laughs> what better way to represent 70s than the OC? Exactly, like yes, I said. Yes. <laughs> All right, also joining us, making, I believe, his second appearance, uh, second consecutive appearance anyway. You know him as the great Gonzo. He is Theo's dad and Zach Ford. Zach, welcome back. How you feel about tonight's show? Um, I feel good. I literally forget it's a competition every time <laughs> until you say, you know, I'm the champion. Um, <laughs> so I feel like that just destines me to lose every time. Um, we'll go see how it goes. Okay, and besides these two peons, we have two celebrities with us tonight. One, a much bigger celebrity than the other, but both technically celebrities in these circles. Uh, first, we'll start out with, you know him. Uh, he used to uh, live in this world until he elevated to movie trivia Valhalla. It is the former <laughs> Shmoda world champion, Paulo Yaba. Paul, how are you tonight? Yeah, it's, it's good to be on. You know, this is a really fun panel. Obviously, all people that I'm really good friends with, I think this will be exciting. I made even more qualifications than Michael and chose to exclude a lot of films for personal uh, reasons to make this a more interesting <laughs> list. So we'll see if people hate me for that. I know Kirk will hate me for one of my decisions. <laughs> Let's see. All right, we'll see how that plays out. And also joining us, special guest tonight, uh, you know him from the OA, from Color Out of Space, from The Guest, and of course, the movie trivia showdown, it is the kid, Brendan Meyer. Brendan, hey. what are you doing here? You, uh, you know, I beneath you. No, 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 no. Hey, look. I called your agent maybe. When you're not booking gigs. When you're not booking never, gigs. Man. Hey, man. Talking movies is never beneath me, especially 70s movies. So, yeah, it was fun to get to put together the list. And, yeah, there was a couple of things I omitted. But for the most part, it is definitely uh, definitely my my favorites of this. Uh, well, in the early stages, I went with a couple of things I just wanted to highlight. Um, I felt like in the 8 to 9, 10 to 11, 12, 13, 14 range was a bit bit murky. But, yeah, when we get to the top of the list, I think – these are not just some of the best films of the 70s, some of the best of all time. So. Yeah, that's the thing, guys. A lot of right answers here. It's going to be hard to get this wrong. Let's just do this. Everybody give me good answers. We'll get through this quick. Mm -hmm. 45 minutes, bing, bang, boom, we'll be out of here. Um, you all know how it works. We're going to do 10, 9, 8. Uh, just me and the uh, 
contestant talking. We'll discuss those movies. We'll go further into it. If someone says it mentions a movie you have further or higher up on your list, make sure you say yikes, and we'll come back to that later. Uh, but let's start out with Paul. Mr. Oyama, give us your 10, 9, and 8. Uh, so for number 10, uh, an essential director of the 70s, probably not the pick most people would expect. Uh, that's Robert Altman's Brewster McCloud is my number 10. Mm. Uh, my number nine uh, is a film I watched for the first time recently. It, it was kind of a blind spot for a long time. Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. Yikes. Uh, and then my number eight is the only collaboration between an actor and director who I wish had worked together more. And that's the final film of Ingrid Bergman. It's uh, mm. Ingmar Bergman's Autumn Sonata. All right. Okay. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, give me your number. Talk about your number 10, Bruce McLeod. So Bruce McLeod is this really weird, twisted, kind of bitter movie about um, sort of the, the out, overlooked members of our world. And it, it's this kid um, played by Bud Court, who you might know from Harold and Maude, um, living in the Houston Astrodome. And he's making these mechanical wings to be able to fly. And this is the introduction of Shelley Duvall to the world. It's an incredible, really, again, really weird and dark and twisted movie that I think is so funny and so interesting. And I love that the way that it comes together at the end is so masterful. Um, obviously, my number nine was a yikes. Uh, and my number eight is Autumn Sonata, um, so this is, again, Ingrid Bergman uh, plays a mother who comes home to visit her daughter, um, who she has a very tenuous relationship with, and it's sort of them reconciling their relationship together. This is an immaculate performance by the two lead actresses. It's heartbreaking, and it's a really simple movie, but I think it shows what a brilliant director can get out of actors with just great writing and great direction. Um, it's so moving, and it's really, it's tough to watch at times, but I think it's an incredible, incredible movie. Again, it's crazy that Bergman's didn't work together more. I thought they were related mm. for a long time, honestly. Um, but yeah, just an incredible, incredible film. Okay. Uh, started out strong. Your number 10, Brewster McCloud, I have not seen. Um, just heard, I've heard about it. Uh, your description sounds really uh, interesting. So um, I'm kind of starting to get a little more into Altman. So this is what I definitely want to check out. Uh, your number nine was Yikes. Uh, number eight, Autumn Sonata. I watched this uh, because you put this on the list. I've not seen it yet. Uh, Bergman's another one. I'm just kind of just starting to see, uh, you know, kind of dip my toe in the water there. Uh, this movie is terrifying. Um, I watched this. It felt like I was watching a horror movie. Um, as a child as a parent and a parent of a child this is like you said very difficult to watch mm -hmm. and just to see how people can destroy each other's lives so easily um mm -hmm. and it's just really beautifully shot um i love how it's kind of told shown through the her husband's perspective like he's our eyes through the, kind of through the movie into yeah. yeah and uh just you know just his 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 take on it is is really interesting and just you know watching mm -hmm. him watch these people suffer is really hard to do so i think that's a really solid pick i really mm -hmm. thank you for putting on this list because that gave me a chance to watch this and i really liked it mm -hmm. um but let's move on to uh zach uh zach no. let's give a give me your 10 9 8. all right my number 10 different terrence Malick movie i went with badlands mm -hmm. and number nine i went with carrie and, mm. and my eight, the one super obvious one I couldn't deny, Jaws. Uh, I, I have it in the sketch. Right? Okay, oh, so copy. Oh. You say copycat. <laughs> copycat. When we get there, then, yeah, go ahead and talk about your uh, your 10 or your nine, and then you and Michael can both talk about Jaws. All right. Um, as it seems like the others did, I, I made a list that um, ignores some of the most obvious ones to make room for ones that aren't talked about on the show that much. Mm. And also there's a lot of bias on my list given the ones I've seen in the past two years because I like to sound as intelligent mm. as possible. <laughs> um, so when choosing between movies, I was like, oh, I see this recently and I won't so I'm not, it's like, 
as much of a dumbass as I normally would. Um, Batman's is the the exception. I haven't seen it for like six years. So the, my memory is hazy. Um, I can like barely remember my social security number at this point, And I, I don't even know where my card is. So it's going to be problematic when it happens. Um, so I'll do my best. Um, but <laughs> early Terrence Malick I, is still my favorite form of um, Terrence Malick. And I think because there's a little more of narrative cohesion mixed in with his, um, you know, natural and spiritual stylism mm-hmm. they put in there. Um, that, I think later he got so caught up in this, but this um, I still be able to get caught up in his um, kind of poetic mindset, but also following along with the story that's engaging, exciting, and has strong performances. I forgot to set my timer, and now I talked for too long. Okay. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, uh, give me Carrie. My number nine would be Carrie. This is my favorite horror movie. Um, I don't react very viscerally a lot to a lot of horror movies. I think I, I feel fairly disconnected, but Carrie, for some reason, maybe, you know, as a teacher amongst teenagers that may lose their mind and destroy me with their um, <laughs> <laughs> paranormal talents at some point, that'll probably help. I'll go out. Um, I think it hits me on a different level. And I, I think also because I can empathize with, you know, the teenager's pain helps me really feel for um, where Kit, what Carrie is going through as well. So, whenever mm. All right, then you go yeah. hit Jaws and Michael will get it after you. Yeah, Jaws, I, I, I was going to leave it off because it's a very obvious one, but it's also, you know, it's obvious for a reason. You know, it's the blockbuster of all blockbusters. It's timeless. Um, I got saw in the theaters recently, and every, you know, I can't wait to take my son to the theaters because mm. it's just as exciting as a summer movie um, as ever. I'm going to take him as a two-year-old, by the way. So that's why I mean take him. He needs to know the dangers of the waters. But, um, you know, it, it holds up in every which way as far as, you know, how scary it can be. It's also how funny and how great the characters are drawn. It just really, makes it really special. So. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it had, had to be on my, if I was making like an all time list, this would be like my top five ever. Yeah. But, you know, and I feel like it had to be represented. I thought someone would have it at least like seven or higher. Turns out it didn't happen. But I mean, this is just like one of the most perfect movies ever. Uh, the three leads have such great chemistry. And I mean, yeah, what, what can be said about Jaws? It hasn't already been said. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. Um, um, I'm 0 for 2 on your number 10s. I have not seen Badlands yet. Uh, this is another one I want to see. Just haven't gotten around to yet. I haven't uh, really got my hands on it. Uh, Carrie is really good. Uh, it's funny you mentioned you know, as a, how it affects you as a teacher. I think Stephen King was working as a substitute teacher when he wrote this. And I think it really mm. affected him, uh, You know, th- his take on seeing uh, kids go through that and just you know, doing what he does, taking like real-life horror and putting a you know supernatural spin on it, uh, yeah. CC SpaceX great in this, um, and it is really scary. And just the um, you know just like seeing her like she's the monster and she has the powers, but then you look at her mother and her mother's the real monster. And again, that's what that's what King does so great is create um, real world horror within the supernatural horror. A lot of times, the real world horror is worse, um, and that's what I love about that. And that's great about this movie. And yeah, Jaws, like you said, Michael, what what hasn't said about Jaws? Um, I love the, the the characters in this movie. I, th- I think I like the second half a lot better when it's just them. Uh, that scene on the boat—they're just so well clearly defined, and you know why they're there and what they're doing, and um, you know their their motivation is so just so clear and just just a great arc for all three guys. Um, I really I really love that. Uh, great great script, obviously great directed. Um, you know the stories about the shark not working and how that 
how fortuitous that was. Uh, just just, just kind of like a, a perfect movie that we kind of shouldn't have got, but we did. And it's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, Brendan, we'll come to you now. Uh, give us your 1098. Sure. Uh, so number 10, I also went with another Robert Altman, which is Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. Uh, number nine, I went with uh, Bob Fosse's Cabaret. And number eight, actually, I went with a movie that I just saw for the first time a few months ago, but really wanted to include because I didn't, wasn't even really aware of it until this year, which is um, Elio Petri's Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. All right. Which I think is a really, really cool film. That I don't, like I said, I didn't even know about it at the beginning of the year, and then I saw it recently. So, uh, yeah, number 10, uh, The Long Goodbye is really cool. It, it, uh, Elliot Gould plays a um, character of Philip Marlowe, who's the character that Humphrey Bogart played in The Big Sleep, and Robert Mitchum played him many times. And what's cool is that it's a, it, it feels very, very, um, in terms of tone and style, feels actually very, very removed from classic detective noirs of the kind of classic era and and kind of updates it to a more, I guess at the time, sort of modern-ish setting. And it's really cool because it has a very similar plot, you know, Philip Marlowe getting drawn into, you know, a disappearance and, and you know, his things involving his friends. And, and it has those sort of wild noirish characters, but it has this very contemporary setting. The opening scene is he, he wakes up and just goes to you know, get some cat food for his cat, and and there's you know these hippies living across the street from him in his apartment, and actually has a very early appearance of Arnold Schwarzenegger and just in a cameo, but it's got really really great performances. Uh, I believe Sterling Hayden is in it, if that I unless I'm totally botching that. Uh, yeah, Sterling Hayden is really really great in it, and it just it, it it's just so fun for me as someone who's a sucker for those kinds of noirs, you know, a detective going down a rabbit hole of lies, the seats, colorful characters, and to kind of see it in that sort of altmany kind of way, I thought was really really great. Um, number nine, uh, Cabaret. I was thinking about for this slot just kind of unique achievements as well, and Cabaret to me is such a fascinating because a musical you know, involves a, um, a you know the people who work and kind of orbit the the cabaret, the Kit Kat Club. Uh, and uh, Michael York uh, is in it. Um, Liza Melly, I believe, won an Oscar for playing Sally Bowles. And it, it's it, it really is just about this sort of love triangle turns almost a polyamorous relationship between these these people. Um, uh, Joel Gray plays the master of ceremonies. And I think what's really cool about Cabaret is that as a musical, and movies like Chicago have done this since and stuff. But there's no real breaking into song. There's it's a musical, but the the numbers almost exist on their own within the Cabaret within the club and that to me is really really interesting because it's sort of it allows the movie to to have these amazing musical numbers and these great songs but without it sort of breaking the the reality in the world of what they're dealing with and the thing that i love about cabaret is just the way that you know obviously it's dealing with right before the rise of of the nazi party and all that different stuff and i just think like the way that they they layer in this sort of um, impending horror is really, really interesting and kind of makes it unique among movie musicals uh, for many reasons. And then uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, I don't want to give too much away, but it's Italian film. Uh, I won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film uh, when it came out. And I, I don't know how much I want to say, but basically it opens with a murder being committed and the, the, the man who commits the murder is sort of in a position of influence uh, that you wouldn't necessarily expect a murderer to be in. And I just think the themes are very, very relevant. These themes of when, you know, when justice goes away, what that does to a society. And as an early uh, Ennio Morricone score, which is really, really interesting. And uh, it's just great. 
it's 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 really cool and i i just i'd never heard of it before and i was just it, i was just so taken by the premise which i almost don't even want to spoil I, I if you go in cold you're really gonna you're you're gonna be on a real interesting ride just a lot of really creative camera work and memorable score so those are my three that i went with at the beginning Okay, cool. Uh, long goodbye. Uh, this is another one. Is this has been sitting on my prime uh, watch list forever? Uh, finally got around to it because you put it on the list, and I really enjoyed this one. Uh, yeah. Elliot Gold is great in this. This is my probably my favorite Elliot Gold performance. Um, he really just slips into that uh, that Philip Marlowe role so well. Mm. Just that kind of like schlubby, like laid back, just you know whatever kind of guy. Um, I love the characters. I, I think it's kind of what I liked about this movie. It, it's a very um, alt mini take on those, you know, kind of old style noirs uh, with the camera movements and a lot of, you know, improvised natural dialogue. Mm. Uh, I love the fact that the the mystery itself is kind of irrelevant. It's just, it's almost just like a, a very loose framework and excuse for him to like go on all these adventures <laughs> and meet all these very right. interesting characters. Uh, yeah, Sterling Hayden is great. I'm a big Sterling Hayden fan and he's really good in this. Uh, so yeah, this is a great, uh, great pick. Great number 10. Uh, Cabaret, not so much. Not a big fan of Cabaret. Not a big fan of Cabaret. Oh. No. Cabaret, I, I just don't like the way this movie looks. It's kind of like, it's just like an ugly looking movie. It's just kind of got like that cloud over it that I don't like. Um, I don't like the music. I'm not a fan of the characters. I don't connect to any of them. Um, I think they're just kind of like shallow and vapid, and I don't root for them. Um, and it drives me crazy that uh, Fosse beat Coppola for uh, Best Director. That just <laughs> blows my mind. I kind of think I have a you know a little bit of a slight against me because of that. Um, and then uh, Citizen Above Suspicion, you know, I'm sure you'll forgive me. I haven't seen this one. It's not on Criterion Channel, so I didn't get the chance to watch it. Just it. Left. it just, it just it, left. Yeah, that's, that's what it. I watched it on was Criterion Channel. Yeah, no, I don't blame it. I mean, like I said, this is the one that, like, as someone who's been a movie fan for years, yeah. this, I had no knowledge of this until, like, four months ago or whatever. And I was, and I just thought it sounded, like, so interesting. And I really enjoyed it when I took the plunge. Yeah, that, that's just my <laughs> luck. It, that, that, that happens to me often, you know, especially with trivia matches. I need a movie for <laughs> trivia. It disappears from streaming the minute it gets yeah. put I don't match. think there'll be any trivia questions about this one, but I would love to see. Well, <laughs> I'd love to see it somewhere. <laughs> this is um, one of those ones I watch when I'm not studying for the Shimoda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's your break movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, Michael, we talked about your eight, but give me your uh, ten and your nine. Yeah, uh, my number ten is mm. the China Syndrome, uh, and my number eight, uh, oh, my number yikes. nine is Barry Lyndon. Okay, so give me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my number eight was Jules. So yeah, uh, the China Syndrome. Uh, this is basically so. Just the general premise of this is uh, a reporter and her, uh, her camera crew go to a nuclear plant and do like a report. While they're there, um, a something goes wrong. Uh, they film it like Michael Douglas uh, plays the cameraman who films it, you know, unknowingly to the people who work there. And, um, and it's sort of about like just the way corporations can control media. Uh, Jane Fonda plays a brilliant uh, reporter. There's a little bit of under seeds of like, uh, not so much subtle, but it's uh, a lot of sexism in the seventies about reporters. Like there's comments that you just hear about the way she looks, her hair, should she diet? Should she not? Uh, and there's a real sort of documentary behind the scenes look at the way uh, this whole thing gets reported and sort of the underbelly of the way corporations can control media. Uh, Jack Lemmon plays, he gives like a really, one of my favorite performances I've seen from him. Uh, he sort of goes a bit crazy all the way through. So it's very interesting to watch his whole arc. And yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, that's a, it's a general premise of it. Okay. China Syndrome, number 10, another 10 I have not seen yet. 
this is another one. I it's, it's on my list. Mm. I just haven't got around to it. Uh, if I had had more time this week, I would have watched it. Uh, main reason I want to see is the little bits and pieces I have seen. Jack Lemmon looks amazing. Um, this is just like a, a performance that's right up his alley. So I, I do plan on watching this soon. Just haven't seen it yet. Uh, okay, so that is the uh, everybody's bottom three. Now we're going to get into it. Everybody else is going to have a chance to talk about the rest of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and start us off uh, with your number seven? Uh, yeah, so you might have seen this flash a little bit earlier. Uh, and this is uh, Joseph Sargent's The Taking of Pelham 123. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of my favorite 70s crime movies. I think it's got like one of the most immaculate endings of really any movie ever. The final shot and, and what happens mm-hmm. at the very end is incredible. Um, Robert Shaw is so engaging as the sort of leader of this crew that that takes this train hostage. Mm-hmm. I love all the kind of little twists and turns. You think it's going one way, and then it pivots into another. It's like a really re- really rewatchable movie for something that's pretty dark. Like it's pretty fun, and the, the, the dialogue is really great and loose. I love Walter Matthau. It's kind of the guy at the train station who's communicating with them. But honestly, all the four main robbers are all incredibly engaging. Hector Elizondo, who like is probably more known for like being the guy in Pretty Woman, who's like the hotel manager, is amazing. Um, Martin Balsam, obviously, who's in like Psycho and Twelve Angry Men. Um, but yeah, it's just a great crime crime film that is is fun to watch, um, dark, and again has like a really great wrap up that sort of all culminates in this one moment. Um, and it's sort of you know all of the all of the the events of the film sort of culminate into these people. And I love the mayor of New York is a really great side character in this one too. So yeah. Yeah, I really love this movie. Uh, I love the tone, like you said, when they're on the train and you know you're with the with with the with the with the thieves. Uh, it's very dark and very serious. But when you're with Walter Matthau, never lose that kind of like Walter Matthau spirit. It kind of has that like a goofy like, big tie. Exactly. Yeah. Like he's like he again. He's like another just schlubby cop, and he's kind of like thrown the situation. Um, so I love him in this movie. Jerry Stiller is really good in this yeah. in his small role. Um, yeah, Martin Balsam, uh, Robert Shaw, the whole the whole gang is really good. Yeah, this is a really tense, uh, fun thriller. Uh, so it's a really great pick, Paul. Good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's everybody else think about taking Pelham one two three? Get, uh, I mean, I love it too. I think it's great. I mean, this is, I, I also want to say the one thing that has been mentioned is the score is just fantastic. I mm, think the, the yeah. music that just, it's, it's one of those things where the score is just so terrific that it, it grabs you from that, that opening uh, and agree, great ending. And yeah, I mean, I guess all the performances have been mentioned and yeah, just from, from Balsam to, to Jerry Stiller to Matthau, it, it, I highly approve of this pick. I, I think it's really, really great. Um, I really like these these types of thrillers, not necessarily just because it's a hostage thriller, but these sort of contained thrillers, two men on opposite sides of the phone, or I mean, th- those things are always just so great, especially when you have great actors. And yeah, this is this is awesome. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I approve of the pick because I'm in a, a nice mood and trains are cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have seen, I saw this, uh, last year so that's basically the reason i mm. it's not on my list i didn't just get a chance to rewatch mm. it uh yeah like i agree with everything that has been said the ending is spectacular and this mm. takes this takes place over one day right or is the ending a couple of days yeah uh, no, yeah, no, yeah. No. so that's no, the same day i think it's same the day. yeah same day yeah, yeah. yeah so like it just the the energy of that is all compacted in and you just feel this like sense of urgency every time yeah. so it's the cops driving yeah. around all over the York. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul, very solid pick. What is your number six? Um, number six is a movie I watched for the consideration on this list. Uh, it's a movie I've oh, never wow. seen from this director. It's uh, Paul Schrader's Blue Collar, which Ooh. is the first film he ever directed. Um, and essentially, it's about these three men who work in an auto shop. It's Harvey Keitel, Yafit Kodo, um, and Richard Pryor. And they all decide to to rob their union um, like bank vault. 
And it really is this exploration of what happens to people that are lower on the ladder when they try to mobilize and move up. And I think it's a lot of punishment for the way that their behavior is. And there's a lot of great racial tension between Harvey Keitel and Richard Pryor and Yafit Kodo. Um, there's a lot of like great sort of satirical elements. There's a certain billboard that is really, that is shown randomly throughout the movie um, that shows like how many auto parts have been, have been created and it's this sort of dry, weird humor placed into an otherwise really serious movie. It's again, incredible social commentary Richard Pryor with like one of honestly the great performances of the seventies, I think with this guy who just kind of had enough and, and hates the position he's in, but doesn't know how to change the circumstances. And it's these people, um, again, it's trying to take themselves from the bottom to the top and it, it shows you what happens kind of to them when that happens. Um, it's again, it's got a great last act, especially how it kind of kicks into gear at the very end. And you see the very ending is so poetic the way that it ends up. And you look at the way that it started, it's, it kind of comes full circle in such a satisfying way. It's just a terrific, terrific movie that I couldn't recommend highly enough. Yeah, this is another one that I hadn't watched. I wanted to because I, I want to get more into the uh, Schrader's directorial work. Uh, but since you put on a list, that gave me an excuse to watch it. I really, really like this. Uh, it's a personal movie for me because I grew up in a very uh, uh, working-class, blue-collar uh, union home. And I know that feeling of being stuck between the union and the company and the anxiety, you know, being powerless and that and the anxiety that that causes and the stress that brings on your home. Um, I've, I've felt that and I know what that is. Um, so I connected with these characters very strongly. Uh, yeah, Richard Pryor uh, gives a great performance. Made me wish he had done a lot more dramatic work because uh, he's really good in this. Uh, him and Car Keitel are great together. Um, I've watched this. something. am Toto is really underrated. Like He's he so be, good. He should be talked he's about more. He's, he's so good in this. Uh, and, yeah, it has a, a good score. And like you said, like the story just, just wraps up really well. There is, like, there, are, there is some like humorous elements dropped in, in here and there, and it's so out of place that it just makes it even better. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, this, I think this is a, a, a really solid pick. Everybody else, uh, thoughts on Blue Collar? I okay. Um, I haven't seen. It. I, I there was a chance to see it last year at a theater. It was like, but it was like ninety minutes away, and I would have taken the day off work. But sorry, I'm re I'm really regretting not being able to see in the theaters. But I do really want to see it because I know it is his debut, and I also want to get more into Schrader. Yes, yeah, so. same. Funnily <laughs> enough, I've watched a ton of Schrader this year. Actually, films he's directed, and this is one that I haven't gotten to yet. So I'm gonna have to get get on this even sooner because I'm actually I'm a big fan of Schrader as a director. I actually think mm. I enjoy almost every film of his I've seen that he directed to some degree. So. And, and some a lot. So I, uh, I'm excited to see this actually now, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I also haven't seen it, um, but there's more important Richard Pryor works to be discussed later on this list. Is he selling something? <laughs> All right, Paul, uh, you're number five. Uh, number five, this is a partial apology to leaving an actor off for another movie that they were in. And probably not the movie you'd expect from this director or most people would expect. Uh, one of my favorite action films of all time, and that's William Friedkin, Sorcerer. Um, mm. This is a remake of the film The Wages of Fear from 1953, and essentially Roy Scheider and three other men are these criminals who are sent to the jungle, and they have to drive this truck with these chemicals on it. It's basically like a wet, um, wet dynamite, and they have to try to get it through the jungle without it exploding. And the whole movie is just this balancing act of tension where the entire time it's keeping the tension at such a high rate that it's it seems hard to sustain, but somehow through little tricks and turns... They, may, they manage to keep that sort of anxiety filled into your chest. It's got all these these great big action sequences with these great explosions and these super tense. There's a scene on the bridge that's like where the poster's from that is like one of the most tense scenes you'll ever see. Roy Scheider is incredible. He's super grimy and, and dirty. And this movie is like 
not really interested in being like and showing him off as sort of a leading man, you know, like there's a, a different version of this movie that stars a different actor, like a Steve McQueen kind of type, but that's just not the kind of movie that this is. It starts off with these great vignettes that show you how the criminals get there to the jungle. Mm. And it's just a nonstop thrill ride with an incredible conclusion. One of the great, again, it's such a seventies action film. So it's not like crazy shooting and all this kind of stuff, mm. but it's just great tension. Um, and it's, again, it keeps you engaged the entire time and never really lets up. Uh, I have not had the chance to see Sorcerer yet, but I have seen Wages of Fear. Uh, so based on that, I'm going to give you uh, passing marks on this one because I really like Wages of Fear. Um, if it recreates any of that tension, you know, like you said, the bridge scene, um, then I know it's really good. So uh, based on that, good pick. Everybody else on Sorcerer. I'll go. Um, I, I ordered the uh, Blu-ray in from the US, and it literally got here the day before our list were due. So uh-huh. I was like... <laughs> I had a pretty, I had a pretty good feeling it'd be on Paul's list, so I decided to wait, and I watched it like two days ago, mm. and I loved it. It is mm-hmm. everything Paul said. I agree. I will say, it, Roy Scheider's nose is a bit distracting at first. <laughs> I was like, are they going to go the whole movie with this? And then uh, we find, like, obviously, it makes sense. So I was like, I always love when like directors take people's like real life sort of uh, phys- mm. uh, character, like phys- uh, characteristics, uh, physical. Uh, sort of looks and infuse it into the movie. Uh, so I thought that was pretty brilliant. But like I said, the bridge scene is just incredible. And you're like, are they, were they actually on the bridge? Yep. Turns out <laughs> probably well. So yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this movie a lot too. Like Paul was saying that the opening of this film is great. The way they set up each individual character that are going to intertwine here in the, in the jungle. Uh, I just That's what struck me the most about it when I watched it the first is how it really grabs you right away. I, I got, it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, but I think m- many of the vignettes uh, that open it are kind of minimalist too, not super dialogue heavy, very sort of like visceral and they put you in in it there. And, and what's great is that you get these all in a row, which is great. And like you're saying, it, it, it is this, it gets into this action movie mode with these thrilling sort of sequences. And yet it does really ground you in the characters first and really ground you in their situation. And uh, I, I, which is great. So no, I really, really like Sorcerer. I think, uh, I think it's a good pick. It's not as high as some of the films that I put on my list for me, but I, I really like it. Yeah, this is the most embarrassing episode I've ever been on. Um, I also haven't seen this, and um, I uh, I probably will never watch it because it's been on my watch list, and the poster is like really kick ass. And if I watch it, I can't look at the poster anymore. So I, I have to make some sacrifices. <laughs> so, top ten oh, posters. On my watch. Oh man! <laughs> All right, um, Paul, let's go to your uh, number four. Uh, I might have spoiled this with the shirt I'm wearing, um, but it, my number four is Dario Argento's 1977 mm. film, Suspiria. Um, one of my favorite horror films of all time. Uh, truly one of the great visually stylized movies, I think, of ever, like ever made, especially of the 70s. I think it's got this great, it's great neons, and I think it really, again, it highlights sort of the crazed tension of these scenarios. Um, the soundtrack by Goblin is like one of the great movie soundtracks, I think. I listen to that on its own all the time. I love how high toned the movie is. It's not really interested in being sort of um, narratively driven. It's just a lot of these crazy images and scenes that are sort of brought together with this loose connective thread. But there's this, there's a scene with um, this like kind of barbed wire situation that is like one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. There's a scene with someone at a window that scares me every time I watch it, even though I know it's coming. Um, I got to see this in the theater uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's like one of my favorite theatrical experiences I've ever had. Um, again, it's such a thrilling and weirdly stylized movie, and it's got this weird mythology, really, to it that I think a lot of people don't really know about. 
But Jessica Harper is also like kind of incredible in the lead performance. I kind of wish that she was more of, of a of movie star after this. But yeah, I mean, just great Italian horror. And I love the way it uses his aesthetic to drive home the story. It's more about using that aesthetic as its content rather than and sort of enhancing the content within it because it kind of it's you know there's a style versus substance thing but i think the style is the substance in this scenario so i think that's why this has always been one of my favorite horror movies it's so entertaining i love going back to it all the time yeah this is definitely a very uh immersive movie very it's very sensory you know it's 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 just about looking at it and hearing it i love the use of light in this movie um you know that could very easily be overdone and almost be like cartoony and cheap, um, but it works in this. And like you said, the soundtrack and just the, the cinematography is great, uh, and the body horror, the practical effects, mm-hmm. uh, so much really good stuff. Like I sat and watched this, and I'm like, the, you know, the story's not amazing. Um, and, I, and this is another one. Like I kind of wish I could have gone in to you know because I think everybody at this point knows this, you know this, the the secret to Suspiria, but you don't really find out until maybe the last 15, 20 minutes what's going mm-hmm. on. I uh, kind of wish I could have went in fresh, not knowing that, and just seeing if I pieced it together or not, and how that may have changed my experience with it. Uh, but yeah, I really like it. Um, and again, it's, 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 it's nice. I think it's sort of like an hour and a half long, something like that. I found out today the remake is two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. which means it's I really probably... interesting. It is a totally yeah. different movie. It is not, yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. not really even a remake. I think that's almost a disingenuous way of, of yeah, talking. That's what I've heard. It's more like inspired yeah. by. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the only thing is the plot summary. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing that's the same. Um, the, the other thing I read about this movie was that uh, Argento originally wrote, when, they, when he and uh, his partner wrote it, they originally uh, had in mind like uh, preteen girls, like 12, 13 year old girls. And uh, the studio made them change it, or the, the producer made them change it because you couldn't get away with doing all this stuff to, to kids. Um, but he did, so they made it, you know, late teens, early 20s, but they didn't change the script at all. So, you know, you have these, uh, you know, adult women talking in words that are originally meant for children. And I think that kind of adds to the feel of it. Um, the kind of that. that it's so of, uneasy. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, yeah. It, it's just it weird. Yeah. The only, my only problem with it, like ADR is a big pet peeve of mine. Mm. That took a lot. That took a long time for me to get used to. Um, but otherwise, I really enjoyed it. Uh, everybody else on Suspiria. Yo, um, I, I've seen Suspiria, and um, but I watch it in high school when all my friends are trying to watch like the list of the greatest horror movies, um, and watching it with like a bunch of seventeen-year-olds who haven't seen anything you know similar and not trained to watch, you know, older movies um, that didn't quite have the effects. It was kind of just a joke to everyone else, you know, with the like the monster arms that look like Muppet arms coming through. Um, I think everyone was kind of finding it cheesy, and when no one else around you is digging a movie and having a hard time, it kind of taints your experience to be able to enjoy it. So I blame my lack of connection with the movie or my Philistine high school friend. It's fun. Oh, go uh, ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, um, yeah, like when, like what Paul said about the, the window, like the eyes, and it also mm-hmm. comes up later and seeing just the green eyes that just etched into my memory forever. And it's interesting what Kirk said about how it was meant to be, sort of young girls and they made it into like ballerinas which traditionally have very sort of skinny like small uh petite like mm. uh statues so it's they sort of kept that uh type of uh feel of it and there's a scene with like termites that just creeps me out and every time like, i use a comb i just like 
I have to double check. It's it creeps me out. Uh, yeah, this movie is uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's funny, Paul's saying that because I, I, the first time I saw it, I believe it was the same screening Paul's talking about yes, about seeing it on the big screen. We hilarious. ran into each other there. Uh, and this was like, I think we'd only met like maybe once, like at the Schmodown tape. Like, I think it was like only one time at the studio, maybe twice. And uh, and yeah, so that was the first time I saw it, which was on the big screen, which I think is, it's definitely one of those movies that's so great. And uh, just, uh, I just think it's funny when you talk about the score and the usage of the score and the sequence that I remember. And obviously, there's all these great sequences of horror, but I, I remember there's this great sequence where she gets off the plane and as she gets closer and closer to the doors, the automatic doors of the, uh, of the airport, it's like the music keeps cutting in and out. It's as if, as the doors open, she's getting closer and closer to the yeah. horror and to that music. When it cuts to her, the doors it's just like normal. Quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that to me is amazing. <laughs> and I, I can't actually think of many sequences in any other film that kind of uses that idea of a trope of an opening and closing door, the score, almost as if we are traveling towards the score uh, and towards the dread of the score. So I love that. Uh, I think it's a great pick. It's one of those things where for me, uh, I really like Suspiria. The types of films that just wind up getting on, maybe when I make lists like this, sometimes do tend to be a little more plot driven, uh, uh, just for me personally. Um, so that's why something like Suspiria doesn't quite get into where I'm making a list like this, but as a, as a, as a cinematic experience, I mean, it's just, it really was uh, pretty incredible. I was gonna say like, like Paul said, it doesn't really, it take like the only real plot stuff comes in very, very late. So yeah. it's sort of, I rewatched it and it's like, I didn't, I thought maybe just cause of like the, the remake, it's like, yeah, it sort of happens the first 30 minutes. No, it happens late when it gets into the plot stuff. And there's also yeah. a there's scene a with a, uh, which kind of comes full, full yeah. circle at the end a little bit, which is the doctor. You know, and that mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the scene with the blind man and his dog is oh, yeah. brilliant. All square. it is, it's just, there's just a, like a sort of, faraway shot and then a close-up shot and it's just a dog barking and that is that's all you need for it to be absolutely terrifying yeah. the way he shots that is brilliant that sequence is incredible about the, about the blind man absolutely all right um paul that was your number four so zach we're moving on to you why don't you give us your number seven yeah so my number seven um another roy scheider movie it's the third one maybe he'll be our most appeared actually <laughs> <laughs> um all that jazz Oh yeah. Um the title of my future memoir, All That Jazz describes me. <laughs> um, so uh this is a kind of a like a memoir biopic, um autobiographical movie um that Fossey made about the life and struggles and his reputation as, you know, maybe a, a musical genius, but also a womanizer. Um and frustrating person to work with. Uh, I think it gets, as we in some reviews, and gets some bad rap for not going hard enough. And I think that comes from an outsider perspective that we view certain actions as like punishable and nothing more. And I think it's more authentic coming from the persona because he's able to see, you know, who's better to empathize with you than yourself. And you can see, um, you know, the reality behind your struggles and your pains and not that they're just, um, you know, unrelatable or irrational. Um, you know, he, he's trying to take out his passion, but he never really learned how to, you know, function as a friend or a relative or a lover because all his energy goes towards his, you know, master. But um, also the last 40 minutes, um, which just turns into kind of a dream sequence of him imagining his whole, you know, kind of life, and the people around him into a musical, um, kind of starting to 
acknowledge his, you know, incoming death, um, and you know, deal with it through the only way he knows how, which is, you know, musical form. Um, it's really stunning. Um, there's some great music. Um, ben Vereen's comes from kind of nowhere to just like lead the show, and it's very entertaining um, throughout. So I think it's, it's, it's the combination of a uh, very resonant tale of someone's um, life struggle, but also just an engaging musical in a lot of ways. Um, and some weird sexiness, and we talk a lot about how I like weird sexiness. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, all, all that jazz I have not seen. I'm going to address that in a minute. Uh, everybody else on all that jazz? Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've seen it, and I, I really like all that uh, all that jazz. Uh, I saw it on the big screen, which I think is definitely a big screen movie, just the use of editing and, and the grandeur of it. Uh, I'd say I think Rush Eider is inc is incredible in this movie. Uh, I think if I was going to say anything about why all that jazz, you know, I think it's one of the better films of that year, probably. But I, I think for me, why it wouldn't get quite as high is it's one of those great films that's kind of all over the place and a little bit self indulgent, and it's sort of like that's what makes it so memorable and so like impactful in different places. But then also, there's I, I, my memory of it's been years since I've seen that there are moments of it for me where it, it it sags a little bit or it does spend you know 15 minutes on a sexy dance or you're just like whoa where where did the time go but i really really like the film uh, a lot so i think i think it's a really good pick and i might feel differently about it it's one of those films where i think if i rewatch it again it would either go way up or maybe go a little down i'd have to see it again but i really like it and what's funny to me and kind of sad is that like it essentially is a biopic of himself um and he dies of a heart attack, and then he does in fact die of a heart attack years after, you know, making this film. So weirdly enough, it he made his own biopic. Like the ending holds up, which I think is sort of tragic, and and but makes it more interesting. Yeah, this was interesting direction for a John Stockton biopic, but I'm not going to fault Bob Fosse. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I actually haven't seen this. Um, I was going to oh, uh. try and see it. it. It it isn't really streaming, like rentable or, or purchasable anywhere. I almost bought the Criterion, like sort of blind. Um, but I, it was between this and another movie that I thought might be on Zach's list. I decided to watch the other one. Hopefully the other one is on his list, because if not, I totally made a mistake. Um, but yeah, I, this is one I've been wanting to watch for ages. I love Roy Scheider. Like, yeah. one of my favorite Oh, actors. he's amazing. Yeah, it this took one me I really get. long to understand your John Stockton joke, and I'm widely embarrassed. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, Zach, you're number six. Um, oh, well, you got to address... All that jazz, Kirk. Or? I know. Yeah. I saw, I, have, I haven't seen it. Oh, He's going to regret not seeing it later. In the yeah. future, he'll come back. Okay. Oh, that's what I, I also wasn't. Like, <laughs> like, he meant he was going to say something else after. <laughs> I haven't seen it, <laughs> but I hate it. And why he hasn't seen it? Okay, my number six. Um, I realize my whole seven through four all has a strong. Um, basis in music or music being a big part of the reason why I like it. Um, number six is Nashville. Um, yes. Another movie that can be called somewhat indulgent. Um, this is the kind of Altman that I like best, which is when he's working within communities of people. It's uh, not necessarily capturing any kind of plot or story, but capturing what the atmosphere is like amongst a community of characters. And I think he does a great job at making every character, even though you see them maybe five seconds at a time and they come back every 10 minutes, but um, like, but they still feel so real and drawn. Every person you see on screen, I feel like matters or, you know, has their own life. Um, even, you know, the characters in the far back, um, they'll get a couple of lines to show that, you know, they're part of this community as well. Um, I think it does a good job at capturing, 
you know, the country music scene of Nashville as well. It's something I don't, as a music person, I don't know too much about. Um, so to get me a little more interested in, you know, what that culture is like and, you know, how big a scene Nashville has played in our music culture is really important. Um, so just shining the light on, you know, different communities um, is something that, that he can do wonderfully. And to, there's engaged stories. Lily Tomlin is amazing in it. And I think she's the heart of the movie. If there's any plot, you can find it with her and her relationship with um, whichever Caradine it is. I can't keep track of first names. Um, is David? Keith Caradine, yeah. Hey. I think so. <laughs> and the, you know, the best scene is when he's playing at the concert and all these um, girls he's came into contact with think the song's about him. But when Lily Tomlin, <laughs> you like truly feel, you know, it's probably not about her, but for the most, like you feel her connection to what that song is mean to her and where she's in her life. And it's just nobody captures small moments, small character moments better than um, Altman. And I think this movie is a good example of it. Okay, Nashville, I have not seen either. And that's why I wanted to bring these both up together because these are both, like Paul said, uh, movies that are hard to find. Uh, they don't stream anywhere. They're really rentable. Um, I've been wanting to see these for a long time. I look for them a lot because I want to watch them. And Zach, you did a pretty good uh, job of describing why I want to watch them. They both sound like really cool movies. Uh, I just haven't had a chance yet. Uh, as soon as I do, I will watch them. Uh, but everybody else on Nashville. So, yeah, I mentioned uh, I, the whole thing with the, which one of potentially Zach's movies. Thank God this is the one that I, I chose. <laughs> um, this was a movie when I first saw it. I saw it too young. I saw it when I was, I think, like 17, where I didn't really have the, the capacity to appreciate the type of filmmaking that this is. So at the time, I was like, I don't understand why people you know, hold this up as such a great movie from the 70s, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I revisit. I actually didn't get to finish it this last time I watched it because it's mm. two hours and 40 minutes. Um, but I love Ned Beatty in this movie. I think it's an incredible kind of cacophony of these different performances and different people sort of coming together. And that's kind of one of my favorite types of movies, the sort of Magnolia style of like all these different characters mm. having their individual stories that kind of tie in together in a unifying theme. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a terrific movie. Obviously, Allman, apparently Michael's going to have like California Split or McCabe and Mrs. Miller on his list or something. We've all had Allman yeah. so far, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a great movie. Um, I, I want to finish it, obviously. I now own it on Criterion, so that's great. But um, great pick by Zach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm uh, say, I, I haven't seen it. I've clearly been watching the I clearly watched the wrong Altman movie. <laughs> no, no, this, no, I agree. I think this is a great film. This is one of those movies where it's it would probably be in my 11 to 15 range, and it's just I haven't seen it in like I think like five years, and so it's just kind of in that range where I was like, I don't think I've seen it recently enough to know if, if, if it's as good as I remember it being, you know, it's like, I, and I haven't seen it since. And the, the thing about a lot of the movies that I've now, I think every movie, but one that I have on my list going forward, I've seen multiple times. And a lot of them I've seen in the theater. And I think that's just Nashville's this one that I've seen once really loved it. Um, uh, and, and for all the reasons that have been mentioned, but I, I just wasn't sure. I, I just can't, I, I can't get, you know, it's so much of it in a good way. I think I've forgotten a lot of it in a good way in that it's such a, a dense film there's so many layers to it that i think it would be a near like almost like watching it for the first time again i think i watched it like on a like my laptop too when i watched it so i really want to i know hey this is years ago i mean so but i so it's one of those films that i really love like i said it's pretty solidly in that 11 15 range but it's been a little too too long for me to really uh to really know if, if it deserves to be higher or if it uh if, it, if it's it is where it's supposed to be but a great yeah. Yeah, and Malcolm's right because uh, you guys gave me a lot of movies to watch because there's a lot of crossover <laughs> your list. Um, okay, uh, Zach, you're number five. I just want to say it's like we had a whole decade of movies to pick from. If we had a lot yeah, of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So this is where we start to get very Zach. These top five are all like very important movies um, to my life, and I I wasn't going to um, deny the, what's deepest in my heart. Um, I think people, because my reputation, I think, has been exaggerated a little bit, um, are going to be shocked at how low this is. But the true Richard Pryor masterpiece, number five, the Muppet movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wow. Um, the, I've talked about Muppets all the time. Um, the Muppet movie, I, I talk about the Muppets 2011 a lot, and it, but it's a very different vibe. And I think it's important to recognize that because the Muppet movie is like really the 70s version of the Muppets. Like they definitely are all high. The people and the puppets are all high making this <laughs> a good laid back attitude and it's it's a hangout movie and what's better to hang out with my my best buddies kermit and fozzy um and you know it's a road trip you just get to enjoy their journey meeting all the muppets and getting the game together and there's nothing better than that and that's why the muppets 2011 was so successful because they understood that the best part of the muppets is just seeing them you know get together and try to put on the show and friends it's like watching puppets be friends and that's all i care about in my life <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i really liked the Muppet movie i went back and rewatched this with my family um a couple <clears throat> months ago and it was the first time i'd seen it in a long time and i just love the feel of this movie um just the the the, the courage to take the risk to make a, a kid's movie like that and just that that real melancholy that kind of perseveres over the whole thing and you know just like basically the characters are kind of losers and you know they, they don't have a lot going for them and they're probably not going to get that far in, in what they want to do they're all kind you kind of get that feel that like they all have these hopes and dreams that they're not quite going to make it and to have that in a kids movie is is so cool uh and i, I think it makes the characters so much more daring and so much more relatable and so much more likable um and I love, you know, all the, you know, you mentioned Richard Pryor. All the cameos are great. Uh, I think ever since this movie, they've been trying to recreate that. I don't think they ever hit uh, just that tone and that sense of humor uh, that they reached with these, bringing in all those different actors, different characters, giving them different things to do. Um, they never did it as great as they did in this movie. Um, yeah, and it's, 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 if you, if you get a chance, watch the, uh, what's the show on Disney Plus about the, uh, the props, the prop guy? Um, right. You know what I'm talking about, Zach? I do not. Uh, I forget the name of it. Kathy, message me the name of that show. Anyway, if you get a chance to watch, if 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 you get if you get a chance to watch that, uh, watch it because it goes into the history of just like the make, kind of like making of a Muppet movie, and it's really cool and really interesting. So uh, yeah, I like that pick. Hmm. Yeah, so Everybody I actually hadn't on? seen this for a long time. I, my first Muppet movie was Great Muppet Caper, and I had seen 2011's The Muppets, but I, I know, obviously, Zach is very well-known for loving this movie and this franchise, so I watched it for the purposes of the show. Um, and I really liked it. It's got a weird, almost Altman kind of quality where you feel like there's feel like there's scenes missing sometimes where <laughs> the characters just kind of end up in one place, and then they're kind of just in the other place, and you don't really know how they got there. Um, that's kind of some of the fun of watching the movie. Um, I really liked it. it. It wasn't one that's super connected to me. Um, again, it's just kind of a fun hangout movie. Uh, I think I like kind of a couple of other Muppet movies a little, a little more than this one, but it's, it's really fun. It's really great. I think it's interesting that it opens with Statler and Waldorf as like the first Muppets you ever see on the silver screen. I think it's such an odd choice, but, um, yeah, I, I like the framing device, two of them coming together to watch the movie and then they're watching themselves. I thought that's pretty cool. But yeah, great movie. And yeah, Malcolm's right. The name of the show is Prop Culture. Mm. I feel like we could have yeah. guessed. 
We should have been. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I'll just jump in and say I, I, sure I saw this when I was younger, but I have not revisited it. Uh, I, 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 I'd have to watch it again because honestly, it'd be like it's another one to be like a first time watch, a hundred percent. Because I'm like ninety five percent sure because I, I think I saw all the Muppet movies at one point, especially when I was younger, and I've seen them all. But this one, yeah, it's been so long, so this actually does make me want to go back and and revisit it because I really enjoyed the Muppets as characters and. I really enjoy spending time with them. But yeah, the Muppet movie specifically, like it might be like over 15 years plus since I've even seen it. So Yeah, um, I hadn't seen it and I watched it for this list like last week. I was like, yeah, it's going to be on Zach's list. Um, and I liked it like sort of like Paul, it's, it's tough to come in like at this point in my life and just fully connect to it. Um, I love, love the song moving right along. I think that's the best song on the soundtrack. It's and Weird. it's also really dark with the whole like frog legs and like Kermit's the main character. Yeah. Like, it's a bit, <laughs> bit weird, but yeah, you know, it's the seventies, man. Let's, let's yeah. get crazy. Charles I, think, <laughs> I think you need frog leg restaurants. I support the Wow. <laughs> wow. Different frog, but like I'll eat me some frog legs right now. I love, I love the joke where they're like, I feel like that was not the takeaway like, from the film. And the one more thing I will say about this: the the my first movie memory ever, like the first if I go back in my mind as far as I can, first thing I ever remember watching is the giant animal popping out of that that house, that giant the giant headed animal. Uh, so, so that's my, an animal, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's so this movie's got a special place in my heart. Animal from the film Salad Seventeen. Yeah, he popped yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Very Zach. Right. <laughs> Zach, you're number four. Hey, my number four is the documentary Harlan County, USA. Or as I typed in my list, the Cody and Coho Harlan County, ISA, which is a whole different. All <laughs> about myself. Um, so Harlan County, it, it's a real personal uh, movie for me. I come from a long line of coal miners. Um, specifically in Kentucky and Southern Ohio. I believe on all three of my grandparents' sides, um, they were coal mining families um, above them. And so even though this is a, kind of an era later than what my grandparents would have went through and my great-grandparents would have worked for, um, I was still able to find such a connection to, you know, their culture and their community and, and you know, how important that, you know, lifestyle and the, the union lifestyle was to them. My, my grandpa was always so pro-union. This helped me connect, you know, where his, you know, political mindset came from and, and how that sculpted him. Um, I think, you know, Appalachia can be a area often, you know, mocked and joked about and this movie handles it with um, such empathy and handles these you know people that we can consider you know lower class working people um, with such a humanity um, that you really care for them and, and what they're going through and what they're fighting for and um, it's also important I said the top four movies were all where music played a very powerful role. I think the use of music where they have um, some of the locals um, singing you know union songs or folk songs that are then um, played over uh, the scene as like montages player as you see other people and it's not you know professional music they're using as their soundtrack it's the locals and it's one kick-ass music it sounds great um, but two because you know it's coming from some part of that community it you feel it so much more and it's so much more powerful um, and sincere um, that adds to the emotion of the movie um, it's a great documentary and I recommend everyone watching it to watch it 
That's really cool, Zach. I did not know that um, because I also I come from three generations of mine workers. Uh, my dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather. Um, so I was surprised I'd never found this movie. No one had ever brought this to my attention because you know this is my um, you know this is my personal history. Uh, we're you know we're not Kentucky. We're in, you know we were in Western Pennsylvania, but it was the same story. Um, my great grandfather. Uh, back in the tw- going back to the 1920s, uh, fought to like you know establish like the original coal mining unions uh, in this area, and you know my grandfather had all kinds of stories just how violent and bloody that got, and it was kind of devastating watching this and seeing the way these people lived and knowing that's exactly how it was back in the 20s and these are still going on, um, you know, and my grandfather and my father both you know uh, you know fought those battles, especially this era. Um, watching this kind of made me emotional because I, I watched it like that's my dad, that's my grandpa, that's my mom, that's their friends. I remember these people, you know, being at my house, you know, being a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, really connected to it that way. Um, specifically when they focused on the women and the wives, um, because that was my mother, that was my grandmother. I mean, they were on the news a lot because they got into a lot of trouble, um, you know, just being, you know, uh, on the picket line striking and, uh, you know, just, you know, for the cause. Uh, so, yeah, that's really cool. I want to go back and watch this with my dad. I want to show it to him and just get his take on it because it's very much like, you know, there's scenes where the guys are going down and coming up. I remember him coming home from work covering that soot, looking just like that. I'm like, man, that so that this really hit home for me. Um, so thank mm. you for um, giving me the, you know, the opportunity to watch this. Uh, so, was, yeah, really good pick. Uh, everybody else. Uh, me too, actually. I haven't seen it, but I'm in, I'm interested. I'm definitely gonna. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an incredible documentary. There was one doc I considered for my list. It wasn't this one, um, but I think this is very moving. It's pretty short too. It's only like an hour forty minutes, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty digestible. Um, it's kind of the type of doc that I think people struggle to make now, and I think it's so grounded and it's not interested in sort of being crazy high concept. Is kind of just showing the lives of these people, and I guess it's a great sort of um, touchstone of sort of what where American American work culture mm-hmm. was in the seventies. And, and the 60s. So I think that's a terrific trip. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. That was, uh, oh, did everybody else talk about this? Anybody yes. Anybody? Yeah. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was Zach's number four. So, uh, Brendan, we're on you with your number seven. Sure. Uh, well, I went with number seven with a pretty iconic film, but one that I actually got to see on the big screen for the first time last year, and that is uh, Taxi Driver. Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Uh, yikes. 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 Okay, okay. We'll come back to that one. So then I go to number six. Yes. Uh, so yeah, number six, uh, Barry Lyndon, uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Barry Lyndon, uh, which I just think is awesome. This is another one that, uh, and it's funny when I think about Nashville, it's like, I think when I first saw these around the same time, I thought Nashville was my number hold one. On, hold on one second, Brendan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brendan. Does nobody want to, oh, Michael, you already, you already yikes this. He right? had it earlier. You had it higher. Okay. Well, no, no, yeah. Brendan. Brendan had it. No, I mean, Michael had it lower. And I yikes. Yeah, yeah, I yikes. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was looking for it on the list. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Michael, was your number, was it your number nine? Yeah. This is number yeah. nine. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, go ahead, Brendan. So, Michael, you can talk about it too then after I'm done, I guess, when I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I think this is a great film. And this is one of the ones that I saw it on the big screen, uh, I think, two years ago. And it's such a big screen film. I mean, it's just the, the shots and the composition. And I think for me, why I think Barry Lyndon is such a great film is it's just such an epic journey with, with the character, with Barry. And it, it, it manages to be like three or four different movies at once. You know, it deals with war a little bit. It deals with him almost being a bit of a con artist. It deals with him, you know, being almost like a spy, all these different things. And I think for me, what I think is really cool about Barry Lyndon is it's this period piece. 
yet I see in it, there's something quintessentially sort of American about it in like both all the good ways and the bad ways. You know, it's about this guy who starts in a very working class place and through, you know, you know, getting more of a status and just through luck and through all these different things, he sort of climbs further and further up to the point where he has amassed wealth. And then it's without giving away too much away. That's also the inevitable sliding downward of that, of the way that he handles it. And, and to me, it just, What's fascinating, it's kind of that classic arc, you know, of a, of a character, of what happens to people when they come from nothing and climb up to the top and then maybe misuse uh, what they've done or or, or, or not necessarily um, above board with how they achieve it. And so for me, it just fires on all cylinders. It's, it's an engaging story. It's it's this long film that that is long in the best way and that it goes through all these different cycles and stages and feels like a really great journey. and. Yeah, I, I, it has one of the, my favorite narrators ever. Uh, it just the, the use, there's a narrator in it and the usage of the narrator in it is so sort of funny, the sort of charming observations. And the narrator really injects, or maybe not even injects because it's there, but he enhances the sort of black comedy element of it, which I think is really, really great. And I think Kubrick in general is something that I've felt and is that he's just an interesting filmmaker and this film's very dark, but I almost feel like if you're not laughing, you're almost not like, getting all of it, you know? I, and this is a totally different movie, which I won't touch on, because it's not 70s, but Eyes Wide Shut is like that, and other films that I really like, where it's like, if you're not somewhat laughing, if you're not seeing that there's an undercurrent there. And so for me, Barry Lyndon just works as a drama, as a black comedy, as a social commentary, and I love it. Uh, yeah, and this is one that I watched for the first mm. time for this list. Um, I feel like seeing this on the big screen would be like so overwhelming yeah. and intimidating. Uh, it, it, I'd love to see this yeah. on the big screen. And yeah, like you said, it, it's like he starts off as like an underdog, mm -hmm. you know, sort of every man, and he follow him, and then he becomes the opposite, and he becomes the person that we all hate, like, <laughs> where he sort of betrays where he comes from. Um, there's also sort of seeds of like revenge. One character goes away mm -hmm. and then comes back in a pretty big way. Uh, there's a duel where the, this music in that scene is so tense when it's just people, st and at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's just people staring at each other, and it's like, it's just so tense. Uh, it feels like an action action movie, but really, it's just two people ten feet from each other looking at each other. Uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. Um, and Ryan Ryan O'Neill is with like he's yeah. pretty much in. Is he in like every scene of the movie? For with a few exceptions, yeah. he got to be close to it. Yeah, yeah, magnificent performance of being able to uh, translate, like you said, like this journey, this sweeping mm. tale of just the classic. It's basically like a hero's journey where he ends up becoming the villain at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, this is one I had not um, watched yet. Um, mm. It was one of only like two or three Kubricks I hadn't seen yet, and I was kind of putting it off. A because of the runtime, and B just because like the, the the idea of the period drama. I was like, this could very easily be very boring, but it's not because no, yeah. the the character does not stagnate anywhere. He's always moving. He's always all kind. Of, okay, he he's here. He does this, and he's on to the next thing. So the movie boot even with that runtime, the pacing is very quick. You're not you're not you know stuck anywhere for too long, and it's always very interesting. Like he just okay, what's he going to do next? Um, yeah, the character's great. Uh, Ryan O'Neill, I'm not a huge fan of. I kind of don't get his like big burst on the scene in the 70s. Uh, this is probably his best performance, um, but still I think he's – I don't know if he would, would necessarily be the best pick for this role. I read uh, mm -hmm. some stuff where there were some other people up for it. Like Robert Rupp, Redford. I think Robert Redford, Redford was, the, was yeah, yeah. the first pick, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I uh, Oh, I was going to say, I believe the story that I read, which it may just have been in the IMDb trivia, is that 
there was a certain point where like he had to choose one of the ten yeah, most like the top stars ten at the most, moment. Yeah, yeah it was like yeah. basically you can only yeah. choose these ten and guys. It was like, and Ryan it was was like Charles Bronson, yeah. Barbara Streisand, like. <laughs> He, he was kind of limited. Yeah, very limited. But uh, yeah, but I think I mean he's not bad. I think his, his the, only, my, the only problem I had with his performance is sometimes the accent kind of disappears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, he he's solid again. It's it's almost like he's just there. Like he's these things are happening to him. You know, it's not like he's not really mm-hmm. driving. It's just okay. What's the next thing that happens to me that I react to? Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of makes mm-hmm. it, you know, a, 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 an interesting character in and of itself. Uh, but yeah, I really liked it. The look of it is great. The cinematography, the way he shoots it, to you know, so many of those scenes that just look like paintings, uh, where mm-hmm. you know, the only people moving are the people who have to be moving to talk, or whatever. Everybody else is completely still. It looks like it was just a painting brought to life. A um, lot of really cool things to look at. Like I said, the story just keeps you going. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad I finally got to watch this. Uh, everybody else. Uh, Paul or Zach on Barry Lynn. You want to go for a sec? Yeah, well, I I haven't seen it, and I mean, it's been, you know, staring at me a lot, and as Kirk said, it's really hard to want to put on a three-hour um, period piece, especially <laughs> the 18th century, which we can all agree is the most boring of all centuries. Wow. Uh, <laughs> even though I'd probably be, I'm sure I'd probably be really engaged. I mean, Kubrick makes you know, stunning, engaging movies. Um, but just from the setup, from the plot summary, it's hard to, you know, get excited about. So, mm. Yeah, I think John Alcott, this is like one of the great achievements in cinematography, like one of the five best shot films ever made, quite frankly. Mm. I think that him and Kirk even made a new lens for sort of the weird fisheye yeah. whiting mm. inside, which I think also, I think Yorgos Lanthimos like tracked down the original camera to reuse yeah. it in the favorite. This whole crazy yeah, story. Um, mm-hmm. I love the anonymity of Ryan O'Neill because he's not really someone that people have a re- relationship now. So especially like in 2020, I think mm-hmm. if it's if it's Robert Redford or someone you recognize, it sort of feels like it's them. And I like that it's mm-hmm. this kind of person who don't really have a strong screen relationship with mm-hmm. for the most part. I think this is an incredible movie. It is, again, like Brendan kind of mentioned, it's like weirdly super funny. It's kind of like a sort of PTH <laughs> where it's, it's dark and serious, but it's also really funny. I love the sort of transition. Obviously, it has the two big acts, and I love the way that it totally flips the script in that second act. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's a really big cast, but I think everyone kind of comes in and, and is kind of chameleonic. I think it all works really well. They kind of are all orbiting around O'Neill, and I think that really works with the type of movie mm. that this is because he is the central figure. It's an incredible, incredible. Movie. Cool. All right, uh, Brendan, your number. I think we're your number five. Yeah, so number five for me uh, is Apocalypse Now, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now, which I, uh, it's kind of funny, I had sort of a, I've had such a roundabout thing, because I think the very first time I ever saw it was the Redux, um, actually, I wound up having the Redux uh, DVD, uh, so then I watched that and really, really liked it, and then I have watched the normal, sort of the original cut, and then, and then funnily enough, I don't think this actually would have been all the way at number five if I hadn't caught kind of that re-release that came out last year. Yeah. They re-released it, the final, cu- the final cut or whatever. And Apocalypse Now is just a classic example of that film that I always loved, that I always, like I said, it would have been that 11 to 15, 10 to 9 range. But seeing it in a theater, I was just like, oh man, this really is some all-time great stuff. It just, it feels like an ass- assault and it feels dangerous in the way that I think that like, the movie really needs to be to work. And I just, I just not sure it can ever get there on your TV, no matter how big it is. It's just, it, when you watch this film, it's just the, the, the choppers. And, and of course the production has been, you know, detailed of how sort of dangerous it really was and how so much was going on. And, and it just sort of, 
it, it just when you see it on the big screen, you really feel it. And and for me, I just I love these kinds of films. I'm trying to you know think of there's another example, but just there's a journey, right? Because it's about Martin Sheen's character who is tasked with going down the river to uh, basically kill and find Colonel Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando, and. There's just something about this the, the this kind of film where you've got your character and they're getting closer and closer and closer to the end goal and to this final uh, confrontation. And it, it, I think it, it has the best of kind of what we're talking about, Barry Lyndon, this kind of amazing vignettes, this journey, but in a very different kind of arc. It's this journey deeper and deeper into the darkness and he's getting closer and closer to Kurtz. And there's just so many sequences that I find so incredible. And especially seeing it on the big screen, whether it's the, the you know, the nighttime playboy bunny stage where the, the they're just attacking and rushing the stage or or you know the the rise of the Valk play the Val rise of the valkyrie scene just so visceral and exciting and you've just got so many great actors kind of doing what they do best robert duvall in like two or three scenes <laughs> is just incredible and i just think martin sheen is incredible is so brilliant in this i think he was one of the only people i mean i guess brando wasn't either but he wasn't nominated for an Oscar, and I just feel like he is oh, so. This to me is one of the the probably the best leading performances of the '70s. Maybe I haven't made that list, but like I'd have to go through it. Just I think he's just so tremendous in this. The this is one of the great opening shots of all time. I remember even as a young kid seeing it. It's it's the beauty of the trees destroyed by the bombs of the helicopters, and it just it, yeah. I just think it's such a terrific film, and it, it's just one of those ones where when you see it on the big screen. It just fully comes together, and I was just like, you know, this really is for me not only one of the better films of the '70s, kind of all-time great, and I think that that just shows how deep the '70s is. But I think it's all-time great, and it's like five. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this. I probably haven't seen this like fifteen, maybe twenty years. It's been a real long time since I watched this one. Um, but I know I really liked it. It does a great job. A lot of war movies like try to convey like the violence of war. Uh, this one does a really good job of conveying like the like the psychological mm -hmm. trauma and just like the pressure what it does to your mind just mm -hmm. watching everybody in this movie kind of like whether just waiting for you see if whether or not they're going to break just every character is just under mm -hmm. that like constant stress and constant trauma um and i really like that about it and like you said just so many different performances characters coming in you know you got like harrison ford in for a second you got um, yeah you got Lawrence Fishburne in there for a few minutes. Uh, it's just uh, maybe a little longer than that, but yeah, just just a lot of great small performances of uh, people just doing a really good job portraying that. Uh, you just just kind of like emoting the themes of this movie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of good stuff here. It's a good pick. Everybody else on uh, Apocalypse Now. And the truth uh, okay. of truth, this would be on my list. But once again, I was aiming for um, movies that I don't think people might really like. Um, mm. like Super cool, and so far no one objects me, so I'm winning. I believe that's what that means. Um, but I, I love Apocalypse Now. It's my my Coppola movie, my Ford Coppola movie of choice. Let's be specific. Um, and I think it's the surreality that is really what I vibe with. Um, you know, it is a real nightmare, and it, it really functions as a memory, the darkest of memories. Um, and taking it from that, and less of a um, for lack of a better term, like factual or straightforward approach, um, I think helps you get the feel of what it's like to be in, you know, that kind of situation, um, rather than a, 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 you know, objective truth. Um, and also just like juggle rivers are like my shit. And like you put <laughs> a river in a movie and a boat on that jungle river and it's like automatically <laughs> now 10. So jungle Creek. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, I'll go. Do you want me to go? Uh, I, I got to see the final cut in theaters last year as well, and that mm-hmm. was one of my favorite experiences because this is one of my favorite movies. During the reason it's not on my list is because I made the like one director per movie uh, limitation mm. just because like. I'm being honest, this director would have had like four movies on this mm-hmm. list. So I wanted to sort of spread it out a bit. Um, and I really love, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Man Sheen because like he, does, he really just doesn't get enough love for mm-hmm. carrying this movie. And especially his narration, uh, the way he's able to convey so much and just narration, just talk mm-hmm. is brilliant. Uh, yeah. Like, I just love the way they, the long, like the further they descent into this jungle and the river, that's so does Man Sheen's character. Like it, the, I know, it's just, it's, it's hard to talk about because there's so much text there. And uh, one of my favorite scenes, by the way, the horrific scenes is when, I can't even remember if this is in the like theatrical release. It's when Kurt comes and he just hands uh, Martin Sheen's character the two heads of the people that were lithium, uh when they're on the mm-hmm. island. When like Sheen is like in prison, he just pops a head and just, the way he's just like terrified of it always creeps mm-hmm. me out. And obviously the sequence with the end at the end is yeah uh yeah so this is where my decision to exclude certain films came into play and i made a choice (laughs) with certain directors um that i knew were going to get brought up anyway this is one of my favorite movies um i actually hate the joseph conrad book heart of darkness so like this is a surprising thing where i was like whoa (laughs) i I love this this take on this novel um yeah it's crazy lawrence fishburne had like lied about his age to be in this movie which Mm -hmm. is like a really cool kind of story where he 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 sort of lied about being you know of, of age uh yeah i mean Brando is like kind of not even trying, but giving one of the best supporting performances right. of the seventies. Insane. He not the first time he did that, I guess, but it's like crazy that he like didn't know the lines, but was delivering. I mean, w- but could deliver that ending monologue, which is like just so striking. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a gorgeous, amazing movie. It like, it should have been a disaster, which is the craziest thing about it. This should have been all the pretty horses or heaven's gate, but it turns into apocalypse now, which is just insane. So great, great movie. All right, uh, bring you number four. Yeah, so this is where I kind of had a choice to make because there's a director that's going to pop up a couple of times here. And I was like, do I exclude these films? And I thought I'd rather just lean into it because I think Coppola went on, in my mind, the greatest kind of run in a row of any filmmaker. I think he really did in in the 70s, uh, just in terms of consecutive films. And I just, I couldn't leave any of these off. You know, I wanted to talk about all of them. Uh, But for number four is probably the least talked about of his out of 70s films, which is The Conversation. Uh, the Conversation is just terrific, terrific film. Um, Gene Hackman playing a surveillance specialist. And, you know, this is just, you know, we obviously didn't talk about it because it got yikes, but like, talking about something like Taxi Driver, like this is an amazing study of a lonely man and a man who specifically the job of being a surveillance expert contributes to not only a loneliness, but a paranoia. And and uh, dis- he's disconnected in all these multiple ways. Um, uh, the conversation I've seen it a couple of different times, and uh, I just, it, I just love these kinds of films. I love that that slow you you fall into the specificity of his routine of the people that are in his um, circle. And there's a specifically a couple that he's surveilling in the opening scene, just a brilliant sequence op- that opens this film. And it, you know he's surveilling this couple and he's listening to them. And I almost want to say not say too much because a funny story about this just. I actually like watched this when I was really young and then rewatch it and I had completely misremembered the, the end. <laughs> so I got to enjoy sort of the wonderful um, ending of this film, which is a bit of a surprise and really clever twice, which was great. So I almost don't want to say too much, but I, uh, I just think Gene Hackman's really terrific in this film. It's very contained. It's a very small contained performance, but that's kind of, the, those are the film forms that I feel like I, 
the older I get, the more I appreciate those kinds of film performances. Mm -hmm. There's so many big, bold, acting with a capital A performances that are great. Some that aren't, or maybe even overrated, but this is just one of those ones that like, I appreciate so much because it's so hard to carry a movie you know, doing just going back to Martin Sheen, like he does this so brilliant. He's playing crazy, and yet it's subtle and contained. And it, you know, crazy can go bad, and it goes so right with Martin Sheen. This is a different kind of crazy, a different kind of paranoia. It's very small, and he just—he's just so brilliant in it. And yeah, I just—I just love it so much. I, I love that it keeps changing the way you feel about the central characters. John Cazale has a really great role in this as well, um, and. Yeah, I just, uh, it's one of those films where I just, I, I can't, I don't even want to say too much because I feel like it's one of those things where it's just good to go in and soak it up. And when you start talking about the specifics, I think you might tip where it's going, which, which is, just, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right. Hackman's greatness, Cazelli's uh, greatness. I, and I love Hackman. Um, just doing something, I, I can't put my finger on it when I watch just what he's doing, but just something different. Like you said, like he's not, he's not crazy, but you've seen the tool that, this life has taken on him mm. and, he, and, he, and, he, and he does that in a really subtle way and it's really good mm. uh, the other thing I like about this is like how it explores like that world like that world of surveillance like the, the scene where they go to the convention and everything yeah and yeah just, the mundanity of it right yeah just just like almost like like it's almost like this like little like subculture of of, of, <laughs> of, sur of surveillance and I, I really like that about it and yeah you're right the ending is fantastic uh, everybody else on the conversation Okay, uh, so this is the movie that made me change the direction of my list. Originally, I had like three Coppola in my top five, and I watched this because this was my first time watch for this list. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to change something <laughs> up just to yeah. just to be different. Because uh, yeah, like I said, this is the first time watch, and I loved it. Um, there's there's this weird like sort of like I'm not gonna go into specifics, but like backstory with uh, Hackman's character where you're not quite sure if he like. What he's running away from like is he actually a bad person and he's just on the other side of the country or you know is that just part of the job and the last like 20 30 minutes like it turned in like a legit horror movie there are some scenes where it's like really graphic and i'm like mm. i was like i was like legit like a bit scared uh mm. yeah like you said brandon like i couldn't say it by myself this, this is brilliant this is a sad story me michael and our friend jake were, were had to, i actually had bought tickets to see this in the theater uh the week before COVID happened, so that is a really sad fact uh, that will forever uh, remember me this movie. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it's incredible. I think it's great how you see him socially distance himself as well. You see this woman who's trying to pursue him, and he's just so not engaged with her at all. She's trying to talk to him, and he's like totally zoning off into the distance. Um, I love how it takes the one line, obviously, as you guys know who've seen it, and reinterprets it and changes sort of what right. that means sort of over time and, and what that means at one point and another point. Again, the 70s has something about these enduring final images. Like this is obviously one of the most famous ones. I, will, I won't spoil it if, you, if you're not familiar with it, but mm -hmm. it's so, it seems so simple and so, it seems like kind of a dry story, but it just grabs you and, and pulls you in and it slowly sort of sneaks all of these terrors and, and fears inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think it's so interesting that Hackman went on an enemy of the state to ostensibly kind of play the same character. It's oh, yeah. like sort of tied to it, mm -hmm. kind of a legacy sequel kind of thing. But yeah, it's a terrific movie. If, imagine this being like, your fourth most acclaimed movie of the decade. That is insane. <laughs> <laughs> and like pumping this out the same year as, as Godfather Part Two is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was about 13, my parents sat me down and they told me all about the birds and the bees. And so I decided I, I didn't need to hear what Francis Ford Coppola had to tell me about why I was feeling that way inside and where babies come from. Um, so I decided to never see it. Um, that was your conversation. On a different note, 
while you guys were talking, I was so proud of this bit. I was creating my head and all I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been happier with a joke about to come out of my mouth. Well, that was that was the twist that we weren't trying to give away that the whole time was <laughs> a conversation uh, that this couple had with their child. Uh, you just spoiled the whole thing. <laughs> I also started like, wait, don't people call it the talk and not the conversation? My whole bit and I just decided to go for it. <laughs> I think you're right, Some but cost. I was with you the whole way. Some you never cost. said that. Uh, you were with. I was with you the whole way. So you're. <laughs> Oh, you were so convincing that I was like, yeah, the conversation. <laughs> All right, uh, Michael, let's uh, move on to you and your number seven. Yeah, so this would, if I was making an actual like list on like Letterbox or something, this would be the second film from this director. But it's, it's the it's one that's a bit under, under radar from this director. Uh, this director had a pretty big movie from 1976 with All the President's Men. I decided to go from his with his one from 74 called The Parallax View. I know, there's, I know there's another early one he had that might come up later. Um, yeah, so obviously All the President's Men was about um, Nixon and the Watergate sort of scandal. This one uh, sort of takes aim at the JFK and like the Warren Commission findings. The, at the very start of the movie, in the first five minutes, mm. a politician is assassinated. And then we sort of jump cut to three years later. Like we sort of see that it was done just by a lonely, like a loner gunman who's crazy. We jump cut to like three years and we see Warren Beatty, who is the star of this movie. He plays a reporter called Grady. Grady or Freddy? Freddy. I'm call him Warren Beatty. Yeah, Freddy. Uh, uh, he sort of, he tried to find a conspiracy within this. He sort of got the sense that he gave it his all and it sort of destroyed him and probably like destroyed his life. Um, and then we see someone come to him. And this is always not the first 10 minutes, by the way, so I'm not going to spoil too much. Uh, he's, she notices that a lot of the people who are witnesses to this uh, assassination have been dying in sort of weird accidents. Mm -hmm. And at first he sort of lasted off. And then, you know, again, not spoiler, but she dies. And then that's when the movie sort of kicks off. Mm -hmm. And the way this, it sort of holds a mirror up to like, like the, gov the government say, like, we see them say, uh, this is just learner. They sort of absolve themselves mm. to just any, they just give the, all these stats about how we did 11 months of investigation. We spent 12 weeks of in the courts, blah, 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 blah. And then they just come and say, it was just a person working on its own because they want to present mm. to the public that, you know, they're in control. There's nothing, no conspiracy in the 70s. You're, you're talking crazy as if, as if there'd be a corrupt government. I mean, come on, who are we kidding? <laughs> <you>? Um <laughs> Yeah, I just love the way it captures the 70s paranoia and it sort of brings the Warren Commission's, the 60s distrust and brings it into the view of the 70s. Um, Warren Beatty, there's not really much in terms of character because it's very. this is a very plot-driven movie and you're not quite clear on what uh, Warren Beatty's motivations are. Like, does he just want to be a big shot reporter who gets nationally known? Does he want revenge? And yeah, I really love it. Um, I've seen it twice now. I the reason I chose this, even though I like All the President's Men, but that's one of my favorite movies, it's just a bit under the radar compared to that movie. So I decided to go with this one. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Warren Beatty, maybe, probably my favorite Warren Beatty performance. He's really good in this. I uh, really like all the set pieces, uh, just like all the different places he goes, all the things he has to kind of like go through. Um, Hume Cronin is great in this, and his little role is his, is his boss. And just the relationship they have and the role he plays is, is pretty cool. Uh, my only problem with this movie, and I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil everybody has it, but 
you find there's a kind of a secret revealed uh, in this movie uh, that you find out what's going on, and it doesn't really get explored. And I kind of wanted to go. I mean, I would have let this movie be. I'd been fine with this movie being like half hour, forty five minutes longer if it had like delved deeper into that, into into yeah. that thing that was going on because it kind of it's there and it happens and then it's just gone. Uh, yeah. But other than that, it's a great, it's a great ending. Um, yeah, like the ending said, yeah, got punched. Yeah, the yeah. the ending is fantastic. It kind of like you know it kind of comes full circle on itself with all the stuff you were talking about, all the conspiracy yeah. stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's a really solid political thriller. Good pick. Everybody else saw it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite '70s political thrillers. Um, Michael kind of alluded to it earlier. Higher up on the list, I actually have a, a better one called Captain America: The Winter Soldier on my list. So, uh, <laughs> stay tuned for that one. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, this—I mean, it's a great, phenomenal movie from like one of the essential directors. As Kirk can tell mm-hmm. you, I originally had Clute on my list from Alan J. Pakula, which is another mm-hmm. one of his '70s espionage yeah. movies. Decided the last second to go against it. Um, the music for this and all of Michael Small's 70 scores are like immaculate. Like one of my favorite composers of all time, bar none. Um, I love Kenneth Mars in this. He's like the former FBI agent. Um, such a compelling performance. But man, that, that, this is just perfect. Pakula knows exactly what he's doing in the 70s, which with this corporate and, and public and political espionage. And um, yeah, I mean, can't, can't go wrong with kind of any of this, all the president's men, include all that stuff is all phenomenal. Yeah. Like I think you can go wrong with any of those movies. Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting here. I actually, this is one of those ones I have not seen. I think it's probably very high on my list of like 70s films I've, I just have not seen yet for whatever reason. So yes, the whole time you're talking, I'm going, ooh, please don't take him up. Because <laughs> I really, <laughs> I've been wanting to see this for a while. And uh, yeah, and it's funny just to bring up Clute, is, which is I saw recently last year, was is definitely close to making my list too. Um, and so yeah, just hearing that this is on on your list and that this is speaking so, people are speaking so highly of this makes me want to get to it even quicker. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is exciting, but I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm interested in. Yeah. I also haven't seen it. The theme of the day, I may not watch movies. I think I, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I definitely thought this was a sci-fi movie for like 25 years of my life. I'm paralyzed. It's a fancy word. Um, so I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael, your number six. Yeah, my number six is an Australian film called Wake in Fright. So this is about uh, a teacher who is a, he's supposed to just stop into a town called uh, Bunda, Bundan Yabba. Uh, they call it the Yabba. Everyone in the, the city calls it the Yabba. Uh, so he's supposed to just stop over for one night and then fly out uh and then he, he sort of gets into a gambling. He has a bit of fun. He wins a lot. And then he does that ultimate gambling move where he, he goes home. He's looking at his money. And he decides to go back to for one more. And then he loses it. And then from there on, we're like into – it's just one man's descent into uh, madness and hell. Um, this town, the way uh, the way this town it, it works, like you're obviously – it's an outback town. You – there's sweeping landscapes of the outback of orange sand, yet you literally just cannot escape this town. It feels so claustrophobic. He tries so hard to, uh, so I should say it's played by um, Gary Bond, who plays the teacher. It also features Donald Pleasance, who is just giving 120%. He's going crazy. Uh, the way, yeah, like I said, this, it's just one man's descendant of madness. And you're either on this journey with him or you're not because this movie could lose you pretty early, and if it does, you're not going to enjoy. I mean, you know, you're not going to enjoy it if you love the movie. But uh, yeah, this—it's <laughs> hard to talk about. But 
I will also give a trigger warning. There is, if you are interested in this movie, there's a scene where kangaroo, real kangaroos are being shot, and it's pretty, pretty violent, pretty gruesome. Uh, yeah, it's this movie's not for everyone, but if you are on this journey and you're in with John Grant, the teacher, uh, I promise it's gonna be a rewarding. Is it is, it's just so visceral and raw, and this town, it just, it just, you just cannot escape this town. Uh, yeah, that's Wake and Fright. Uh, Wake and Fright, I have not seen. I just found out today that it's on YouTube. Uh, if I'd known that earlier, I would have mm. watched it. Uh, but it looks crazy, and I want to watch it. Uh, it looks like it's kind of right up my alley. Uh, Donald Pleasance looks amazing in it. Like, I just watched a couple <laughs> scenes of him, and he looks like he's kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it just it just has, I don't know, like, there's like a scene. I saw a scene real quick. I was just watching a trailer. Like, it looks like a guy's fighting a kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, 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 kinds, all kinds of really weird stuff. So I definitely would, I would definitely want to check this one out. Yeah, so I did, yeah. this is apparently from the directed weekend at Bernie's and, and First yeah. Blood, which is I haven't seen this actually, but um, it sounds oh, yeah. insane and kind of like yeah. the kind of movie I really like. So I, I actually have seen this pretty recently, actually, and I was so excited when you said it because I think it's such a great movie and it's such a fun movie to get to talk about. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, uh, the, the sequence that I remember of it is in this town, it starts, right. And he's very much in the outback, you know, it's like, he's very secluded and nowhere near any kind of, um, of life at all. And he's, you know, teaching these kids, but it's, so it's very secluded. And then he goes to this town, which sort of almost resembles a small, uh, just a small town. Um, but, but isn't totally secluded. And uh, the sequence that I, uh, sequence that I uh, always remember is they have a moment where they play, is it the Australian national anthem officially that they're playing or is it just the anthem of the town? Do you remember this where they're saluting? There's this is amazing this sequence. The yeah, where they're all playing the gambling. I can't uh, remember if it's there's, the actual There's a killing sequence that is just incredible yeah. where they're all, they're in these gambling and it's so loud. They're yeah. in a bar and everyone's pushing up against each other and hear the, the machines and the gambling machines and then it's time to like salute the troops and salute the country and everybody yeah. stops and like the lights go out and it's red and everybody just stands completely still and listens to the entirety of this song. And then it's like, it never happened. And it's one of the most chilling sequences and it happens right at the beginning. Uh, and it just sets the mood so much uh, if it hasn't already. And I just, it, it's just incredible. It feels like something almost out of like a 1984 or something. And yet the movie is not at all about yeah. like a different society than our own, but it just bizarre, yeah. uh, bizarre, and the, and the game that he gets involved in, I was not familiar in, which I believe is like, you just have to, just flip a coin. the coins yeah. just have to come up. Yeah, you're, it's two coins, yeah. if I remember. It's like you flip two coins, yeah. and it's like, so there's something amazing about this game, which is almost even more ridiculous than even most things that people gamble on, and yet people are shoving money in, and just there's, it's oh, yeah. unbelievable. It's hot, and it's sweaty, and oh. it starts almost, it almost has like this, almost like, um, after hours, like the Scorsese film vibe, like of like this guy sort of tumbling into one night, but it's not a one night film. Then it sort of settles into yeah. a very different groove and a different vibe with the Pleasance character. And yeah, I, I think this is a really, really cool film to watch. And uh, yeah, it's fun. I actually think, I think I watched it later on at night. I think it's a fun one to throw on like 10.30, 11 o'clock. Like yeah. it just, cause it has that sort of like, it, it, you know, it, it, it's surreal, you know? And it's like that bit where you're kind of already a little tired. It's just the perfect time to watch it. Yeah. There's also, there's, this was like lost for like 30 years and they actually found a print. The editor found right. a print in Pittsburgh and then he was able to restore it. And like, that's how we get like this high def new edition that was released in 2009. So that's sort of why it's been under the radar because it was like legit lost. 
Yeah, yeah. And it is unique in that it has these sequences of kangaroos being shot that are real and there's like, which is yeah. disturbing. And But it actually was done in conjunction with the society and like to raise awareness about the yeah. horror of what was happening to these kangaroos. So it's got to be one of the first times that that's, I've seen that in a film where they're using this actual disturbing footage, but not flippantly, it's specifically to sort of great. It's not rapping, is what you're saying. The kangaroo is not rapping in a dream sequence. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away. <laughs> Zach, do yeah. you see this one? I think you're you muted, Alright, when I do my marathon of Australian mammals getting shot, which I'm about to do soon, um, I'll watch it. <laughs> I always like to say, I feel like this works well. Ted Kochev, I, I feel like weirdly this uh, First Blood and uh, uh, North Dallas 40 is like a weird trilogy of like masculinity that I think is like interesting. To, like, I, I think that's sort of an interesting, they're all the same director. I, I think that's sort of interesting. I watched them all around a similar time actually, and I think they're sort of like I don't know. I mean, I, I have to really watch them again to be totally eloquent about it, but I think there's something really interesting uh, in those three films. Yeah. All right, Michael, you're number five. Uh, yeah, so my number five is another Australian film called Walkabout. Mm. Uh, this is from director Nicholas Rogue. Uh, it is released in 71, I believe. It's basically, so Walkabout refers to um, in Aboriginal culture, a 16-year-old Aboriginal will go into the outback and learn to survive for a couple of months. Uh, that was that's not the sort of center of the story. Uh, the main part of the story is a father takes his two children uh, out to the outback and he tries to kill them, as you do. Uh, he turns out he uh, can't do it, so he turns a gun on himself and then he kills himself. And now these, uh, this like this is like 15 and like a six-year-old boy are stranded in the outback. And obviously we see it's not really heavy on plot and that's that's basically the only plot and they just have to try and get back to civilization and survive. And I'm not in the way, they meet this Aboriginal boy. And yeah, it's it's not it's tough because it, it's sort of like a sort of experience. There's a lot of clash of culture. There's like man versus nature, white versus black, like suburban versus outback type of things going on here. Um, there's also wrapped in a coming of age story. Uh, the girl and the boy sort of, they shared a pretty visceral like first attraction to each other. These are the first time they've ever had these feelings. Um, there are some really impressive uh, cuts, like edits to like sort of nature as other things are happening. And you can sort of pick what you want from that. Um, it's, it, this is, I would love to see this in the big theater in a, a big screen because this is one of the most beautiful films I've seen. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much to talk about, but it's also hard to talk about because there's not much in the way of plot and it's hard to describe, uh, I, I find. Um, yeah, I just love that it's wrapped in a coming of age story that, hits to, that connects to me at this point in my life, maybe in 10 years, it'll be different, maybe not. And yeah, I think it's just a sort of experience of first love and there's a scene in the end where the, the, cultures, uh, the cultures really clash when you see this sort of white suburban teenage girl um, she is presented with a situation where the boy does something that is natural in his uh, sort of culture, and it's really, it sort of goes south. And I think that's sort of the heart of the movie right there, if you want to know what Walkabout is about. Yeah, that's, that's Walkabout. All right. Uh, this is one I also haven't seen, but based on these two movies, Michael, what is happening in Australia? Like, really <laughs> crazy stuff. Like, uh -huh. like is, is Mad Max real? Did that really happen? 
um, yeah, this is the, this is another one like I looked into because of your you know being on your list. Another one I would definitely want to check out. Uh, anybody else seen Walkabout? It's been on my Criterion watch list forever. Just haven't gotten around to it. I mean, Nick Rogue is just one of those guys that I think like I've not really dove too deep into his filmography. I've only seen like two of his movies. And I would love this is a, like one that totally seems like the kind of thing that's my kind of movie. And um, just haven't gotten to it yet. Which is kind of yeah. Weird to say. Yeah, same. I haven't seen this either, but I liked all the Nicholas Rogue I've seen. So I, I definitely, it's definitely on my radar, but I haven't seen this one. So. He sold it really well too. I thought Mike, Michael's description. Yeah, yeah. Really made yeah. More yeah, I'm more yeah, interested definitely. in it now than I than I was. Like, uh, so is it still on Criterion? Because I, I do know so. it was on there at one point. Yeah, it was on there. One, it, I did almost watch it at one point. So I, yeah, it's, it's, I got to get back and do it. Um, I am kind of on the opposite to where I really, Man Who Fell From Earth is just like not for me, to where it makes me a little hesitant about Nicholas Rogue. Mm. I'm sure one day I'll pick 1971 as a marathon year and Michael will be happy to pick Walkabout. Um, this is an inside conversation, but it'll happen. <laughs> Don't look now, that's the Rogue. Just go, go that one is, that one is good. <laughs> yeah. All right. I haven't seen the man from it, but the, uh, don't look now. Hey, Richard. That's my shit. That's that like, <laughs> All right, uh, Michael, you're number four. Uh, yeah, here's where we get into the sort of you know generic stuff. Uh, my number four is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Um, obviously, you know another film that like what can you say about it hasn't already been said. Just one of the all-time classic horror movies that is so raw and uh, gritty and slimy. You feel like you have to sort of take a shower after watching it. Um, I love that, except for the very, very end, like well, at least one part of the very end, it takes place just on a hot summer Texas day and it's all in bright, uh, like sort of under the sun. And yet it's still absolutely terrifying. Uh, Leatherface played by Gunnar Hansen is just absolutely terrifying. He's also, the, the noises he makes, like the physicality he brings to the role is uh, pretty spectacular. Um, yeah, I know, I'm really excited. Um, but yeah, and this also features one of my favorite character introductions with Leatherface, where you're not really expecting much, sort of just for this character walking into a house, and then it's out of nowhere, we see Leatherface, and he's gone, and that's all you see of Leatherface for, sort of that first little moment, and you're like, did I just miss something? Like, did I, is there like a scene in this movie that uh, was removed? Because I have no idea what's happened. Mm. Um, that one of the shots that always, and it's probably like one of the most famous shots of this movie is that you're following this character, Pam, as she's walking up to this soy house and immediately something, you can tell something is off. This is a big white suburban house that is just in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, please, please just turn around and walk away. Like it'd be easier for everyone if you just walk away. And of course she goes in and that's how we get the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is, mm. yeah. <laughs> It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, um, this one I've I haven't watched yet. Um, it's kind of I'm on the fence. I want to see it eventually, just because I want to you know have seen it. Uh, but there's just certain things about it, and maybe assumptions I have. Um, but it's just the kind of horror that I don't like to watch. Not that it's like poorly made, but just me personally, it's like you know the, the stuff I've seen, like even the stuff I've seen, like scenes I've seen had an effect on me where I'm like, I'm not into that. But that's just that's just personally where my line is. I'll watch it eventually. <laughs> Um, just haven't kind of like worked up the courage for it yet. Uh, but everybody else on Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I actually haven't seen this either. It's like a big one. I just like, this, I've not actually sat down and watched this. There's a couple, I mean, it's funny. I, I, horror, funnily enough, was for whatever reason when I was younger, like 13, 14, 15, was not 
one of the genres that I went through the list of all the big ones. So it's just kind of, as I've gotten older, I've just been classing them off. Like even the original Halloween, I saw probably quite a bit later than, than you'd think. So yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see this one, uh, but I actually haven't seen it. I just got to step away for one second too. So you guys talk about it. I'll be back in just one minute. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the great horror films ever made. It's like terrifying and it's the slow dread that really like, you just can't escape it. And it feels like it's sort of this gravitational pull pulling you into that horrifying feeling. Um, it's really beautifully shot, weirdly. There's the stuff with the sunset that's being shot. And like on such a small budget, it's such an achievement, I think, in filmmaking. Like not just in horror, but in general, like as a film, I think it's such an amazing achievement. Um, one of the best films in the 70s. Just one of those things that I guess for me, like I think of it more as all time great than personal favorite. And I think that's sort of what delineated it from being on this list for me. Yeah, um, I I'm kind of on Kirk's side. I've seen it, but it's it's not the type of horror movies that I tend to really go for. Um, as in, you know, watching a group of teenagers be killed one at a time. Um, the uh, the like kind of real life serial killer kind of horror movies. Um, I think because they exist more in a reality, um, yeah. for some reason it's hard to you know escape it. And I think it even though it's in reality, it still creates a disconnect in a weird way. Um, and but on a different, I actually prefer two. I think two, you know, expands out of the reality and it's just like balls to the wall crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, I but I, I appreciate the craft rather than you know finding the enjoyment. I, and I think if there's a you know political and thematic depth that I think was resonant, I know he was going for something, but and I might blame this on. Um, different time period, I think the, the depth in the themes might have been more felt in 1974, am I right? Um, than um, today, when you know our political landscape has evolved greatly since what it was like then. Um, but now I feel like it was only the themes only existed in the text, they really come out on, on in the text. Um, also, we Leatherface as the you know iconic horror movie, I think, is a or character is a mistake for the movie because I find the hitchhiker and usually whoever plays like the second lead so much more terrifying. That scene is, is my favorite. You know, seeing the franchise and so much more terrifying than I think anything Leatherface just you know wailing around the saw makes me feel. <laughs> All right, um, we are going to get into. Is it, Everybody get to talk about that? Did we miss anybody? Yes, everyone. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to get in top threes now. Before we do, I'm going to give a shout out to everybody in the chat. Uh, Malcolm, Stardrew, uh, Redshaw, Brooklyn, uh, Scott, Zario were in here. Tuig, uh, Chase was in there. Uh, everybody else still watching. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, we're going to get in top threes now. And uh, Paul, we're going to start. With, and the way we'll do top threes is everybody give their three, everybody give their two, everybody give their one. So uh, Paul, we'll start out with your three. Yeah, my three. Uh, this is kind of a trademark sort of personal movie for me. Uh, uh, one of the defining actors of the 70s. Uh, and one, I think my favorite collaborator with this actor, and that's Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson in 1970s Five Easy Pieces. Mm. Uh, this is essentially a story about a, a man who used to be a concert pianist, and he sort of left that life to sort of live a more simple life. And I think he's, he's got this sort of simple girlfriend. Um, and I love that it explores the way his character is sort of totally disconnected himself from all social engagement. He refuses to engage with his family. Uh, he has this girlfriend that he kind of treats really terribly and he's kind of a terrible person. Um, and he never really is able to speak about the things that is, are bothering him until um, he's, uh, he's with the person who can't speak back to him. And I think that says so much about his character that the only person 
he really airs out all his dirty laundry to is someone who cannot have that dialogue back and forth. But the scene where he plays the piano in the house for the first time and it's slowly panning around the room and showing the family history and all the photographs is perfect. This is an incredible Jack Nicholson performance. Obviously, the most famous scene is when he's yelling at the waitress in the <laughs> diner, which I love, obviously. But I think it's so much more than that. And I think the ending is such a perfect ending. It's wordless. It, there's no really dialogue that needs to be had. The character just makes a decision that I think is more true to, I think, what a lot of movies would have done in that situation. Um, and I think it sticks to who the character really is deep down. And I think the way that he, he has been defined through this entire film, I think it's such a striking, incredible movie. It's so simple and quiet and patient, but I think it's it's such a good character study. And it lets mm. the character come out through his interactions with people and you learn more. Instead of just explaining who he is, it shows you by the way that he behaves with different people. It's just, it's incredible. Uh, I'm just shocked we're in the top three, and this is the first time Nicholson's come up for, for Best 70s Movie. That's crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is a great Nicholson performance. Uh, it's a great character. Uh, there are a lot of great scenes. I love the scenes where he's on the back of the truck playing the piano. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah just, just a lot of really uh, really cool, memorable scenes like that. You know, like the diner, the, the trip with the, with the girls in the back. Um, and yeah, like you said, he's he, he's a very well defined character. I just wish, and I've only seen it once. Maybe there's something I need to go back on rewatch. Maybe something I missed. Mm-hmm. I just wish I would get more of, you know, the you know we don't get much of a backstory of why he's like that. It just he is, and this is what he does. I, I just wanted a little more out of that uh, from the story itself. Um, but other than that, I like I said, Nicholson's great. It's not the Nicholson movie. You know, there's a couple uh, Nicholson movies I put on the list above this, uh, but it's still pretty solid. Uh, everybody else on uh, five pieces, five easy pieces. And so this, I've been, I feel like it's swept up my alley and I've been dying to watch it for a long time and I was ready to watch it to prepare for this. I knew it was important to Paul. Um, and instead I decided to watch the Phineas and Ferb movie and um, sometimes <laughs> you live to regret the choices you make. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really, I really like this film a lot too. Actually, it's a film that it's interesting in that you know, he he is disengaged from a, a certain way of life and is living this more blue collar kind of existence. And I think what's cool for me, at least when I watched it the first time, is I actually didn't really realize where it was going. So it started and I thought, OK, he's this blue collar guy. He's sort of a dick. He's got this relationship with Karen Black, the girlfriend. And it's a movie that I kind of want to watch again because it's a movie that I really, really, really like. But that I, I sometimes have a, I have a sort of a suspicion that I might like it even more now that I can watch it kind of knowing the full picture because it, I kind of loved its journey. You know, it's one of those films where I think I kind of thought I'd figured it out about 30, 40 minutes in and what it was, what it was. And I was just appreciating Nicholson's performance and I was loving it. But, and then when I started to see where it was going and it's one of those great films where you don't quite, you know, it's not one hour and 20 minutes in, it's not what it was 30 minutes in, you know, and, and, and it's a very slow burn the way that it sort of un- unveils the sort of levels of this character. And uh, yeah, I really, really, really liked it. Uh, and I think it is it is actually top tier Nicholson performance for me. It's probably like one of his top three performances, I think, for me. I, I just think he's really, really great in this and hits a lot of great notes and he's funny and he has a lot of the qualities that we love about Jack in other films, but there's a real- great hair too, which is rare for yeah. Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this is a great pick. I, I really, and it's one that I definitely wanna watch again. I always wanna watch again in theaters. Like it's one of these ones I might wait until but the minute I have the chance to see it in theaters, I think I'm going to jump at the chance to do it. I actually, 
I watched this for the first time last night because I, <laughs> you know, I sort of assumed it'd be on Paul's list, and I was like, mm. I sort of watched everything from my list. So I chucked, I bought it on iTunes, and yeah, it is fantastic. Like, like Paul said, the the two like sort of standout scenes in my mind are when he plays the piano and it sort of pans around to this a character's reaction, mm. and then the conversation he has at the end, which uh, sort of floored me. Uh, like it's it's so emotional and raw, like that he's just laying it all out there. Mm. Um, and like you said, the ending of just and you just hear this like massive log truck just changing gears, and like that's and it, it's so brilliant the way it ends. It's mm. it's really fantastic, yeah. and it's got bowling. And any movie with bowling <laughs> is fantastic. <laughs> the most intense bowler since uh, <laughs> Walter Sobchak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Zach, hit us with your number three. Yeah, uh, my number three, I'm pretty sure based on the life I live, there's no movie that connects more to how I live my life. That is Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Um, really speaks to the time that I drowned kids in chocolate rivers and had to go through a horrible lawsuit. Um, <laughs> this is like, this is a, a Zach pick. It's like a weird-ass kids movie with a lot of Rumsey and June Rodder doing crazy shit in you know, as Kirk was saying, with um, Muppet movie uh, movies, kids movies that have a sense of melancholy, um, I think help them exist just past your childhood and help you find a new way into it as you grow up. And when you see it as an adult, help still connect to it and uh, not in just a nostalgic way, but in a, because there's a difference between being nostalgic for your childhood and being able to have new revelations about what childhood is. And I think this movie um, can help even adults, you know, view the, you know, darkness of being a child with, you know, the, the how, um, you know, your curiosity and your greed and all these other emotions that are so broad in the movie, you know, can, you know, impact the, you know, nobility in the route a child can. And um, also fucking candy, it rules. Actually, I don't like candy. <laughs> I'm just going for a minute. Um, I like chocolate, but um, Raw Doll, as I said, which is my shit. I'm just a huge Raw Doll fan, and um, I know he was as a not, person, right? We go to the pub every night. Uh, so. Yeah, um, no, he's but dark. People can write great shit, but um, he, his sense of humor, um, and you know, dark, absurd take on childhood really, I think, impacted you know, how I see life and how I um, also outlet my own creativity. Um, you know, anything that I write for fun has, you know, a lot of influence by Raw Dahl. Um, probably, so probably one of the biggest influences in, in you know, my creative soul. Is yeah, I just like you. Yeah, you're right, Zach. This is the movie like you have to put on nostalgia goggles to enjoy and, and ignore all the, the lousy crap, you know, except for maybe <laughs> except for Cheer Up Charlie, which we all fast forward. Uh, but the rest of the movie is great. I love how much just off the wall stuff is in this movie. You know, the, the beginning before you even get to the action, like the search for the walk, uh, the for the golden tickets. It's like, lady, do you hear what I said? It's your box of Wonka bars, your husband's life. How long will they give you to think about it? I love that stuff. Just so many little things like that all through the movie. And then, you know, Gene Wilder shows up and he's, you know, obviously fantastic. Not really much more, you know, new stuff you can say about his performance, but he's just really great. And just how sincere he is. Um, there's a lot of wrong ways you could play that character. 
you know, we saw the remake, you know, which Johnny Depp did. There's a, there's, there's a lot of ways that character can go, go Golden wrong. Golden Globe nominated performance. Uh. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but he, he just so spot on with it, just how real he is. Just like how like dark and scary, but like innocent and childlike at the same time. And just above it all, just, you know, just the, no, no, wait, come back, stop. That stuff is just so great. Um, yeah. And the, and the, and the kids are all, you know, good. Um, they're not maybe fantastic actors, but they're the character. The characters are really good, and uh, yeah, it's just a really fun movie. Great movie. Uh, Willie Wonka. Anybody else? Uh, okay, uh, this is a movie that everyone sort of has the movie where, like, when it's like a rainy day or like a substitute teacher's, and they just come in and put a movie. This one was always played for like in my classes, and so I sort of can't be like, yeah, like you said, I sort of really have big nostalgia goals for it. It's I, I love it. I love Gimato as it and it just brings me back to my childhood and has talking about like in character introduction scenes, this is one of the best. I just mm. love it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen this since I was really young. So the, as far as the specifics of, of the movie, uh, I can't really speak to it, but the specifics of just that story I think is great. I mean, I really am I've read the book and I'm very familiar with the story of Charlie, Willy Wonka, the Charlie, whatever, however you want to say it. But yeah, I'm really familiar with it. And I, I think it's great. I just like the whole idea. I remember even as a kid, the whole idea of the golden tickets thing is so exciting. The idea of, you know, it being hidden somewhere. And, and he's such a great character for us to go on the journey with. And, you know, all the characters of the kids and uh, is so they're such creative, interesting characters in their punishments are very uh at times horrifying but creative and uh yeah just for the specifics like specifically to you know really take in gene wilder's performance again and stuff i, I really need to rewatch this but uh i really really like willy wonka and the chocolate factory as a story and as the experience <sighs> okay uh, here, here, um, we go. here we go so outside of gene wilder who is great uh i think this movie's pretty bad and uh i prefer outside of the obviously outside of the late performance i do prefer the tim burton uh, oh, no. version of the story i think that the way it approaches the story as a sort of that i think that movie is actually way darker than this this has the one scene where it's the creepy when they're getting on the boats but i think outside of that it's not really that dark people kind of overplay if I, way darker you mean like pedophilic then yeah again again willy wonka <laughs> himself aside i think the kids are terrible in this movie um i honestly the core ethic of the whole story why he gives it to charlie doesn't really make any sense um I think Violet Beauregard obviously should be running the chocolate factory. That is so clear to get anybody with common sense. Um, but I just, I don't like the way that this movie's designed. I don't really like the way that the sort of the sets are created. I don't, I just don't think it has the the right look. Um, and again, the characters are just besides again, Gene Wilder's great. Mm -hmm. If it was just Gene Wilder, awesome. Um, but there are these other characters in it that I just don't care for. And I'm not engaged mm -hmm. with I think it's poorly directed to the pacing is really here and there and kind of wonk wonky. Um, but yeah, it's not really, not really my thing. One of the best characters. I, I'm actually part of me wants to go back and watch this and the, and the Burton one again, just uh, in close succession. Deep Roy in the Burton one is amazing. Deep Roy, incredible performance. Yeah. Yeah. I see my memory of the Burton one is actually more like I have more specific memories of it, but yeah, I wouldn't mind going back and watching both of them again. Cause, cause especially the Wilder one, it's been so Charlie just sucks as a character, by the way. So terrible. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, Paul hit us with the first oof of the night. All right, uh, Brendan, you're no, uh, give us your number three. Uh, I'm going with number three. Like I said, I will break. I am going to break the Coppola uh, train in a minute. But I, again, it's another one I really want to talk about, oh, uh, which is Godfather Part Two. Uh, I really, really love Godfather Part Two, and it, it, to me, it, it, for me, it goes to the structure. is so fascinating to me. The idea of this 
really showing the father and the son. I think so many movies deal with the sins of the father and the way the father impacts the son and all that different stuff. But this is the film that really does them at the same time and lets them be echoes of one another with obviously De Niro uh, playing the younger version of, of, of Vito and then Michael being uh, Al Pacino. Uh, the main reason why I love it, I mean, for me, Al Pacino in this, one of the best performances of all time for me, I mean, specifically in the first two Godfather films, but I think this one is really the one where just his performance to me, like this could be my favorite performance of all time. I don't know if I want to go there right away just because I'd have to go back through all film history and make sure, but it's definitely uh, one of them. And uh, I just, I just, I just love this film. I love, you know, so many stories and whether it's, you know, Canada or whether it's, you know, us, it's these stories, these immigrant stories, right? These stories of people coming from another country and, and sort of the way that the, the, the work that they do in this case, it's, you know, it's criminal work, but the work that they do uh, kind of, uh, sets up their kid to do something else and whether it's building on what they do and, and whether it or going another path. I find those themes really, really resonant um, and really, really interesting. I mean, uh, so I'm a big crime movie fan uh, in general. And for me, you know, and there's there's films I've watched, you know, that don't necessarily always live up to the hype, you know, so it's a bit basic to put it up near the top. But I just wanted to talk about it because I just think it's a it's a great film. It's great performances. John Cazale. This is, I think, his best performance of the few great ones uh you know that that have been done that he had this great small window of great performances and this for me is my personal favorite um yeah i just i, I love all the new characters that get introduced as well um you know the hyman roth character and and uh um, all these different things and diane keaton is great in this one too uh yeah i can go on all day about it but i just I, for me it's the structure uh is just so fantastic with these two sort of parallel um rises um and yeah, I think it's great. Uh, being right isn't basic, Brennan. Don't let them ever tell you different. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love this movie, um, obviously. Um, anybody who knows me knows how much I love this. Uh, I, the the way this movie's set up, my favorite part I think about it is the not the opening scene, but the the, the, the opening of, of Michael uh, when you see them at the, at the confirmation. I love mm. how it's juxtaposed with the wedding scene from the first one. You know, the mm. wedding scene, they're surrounded by family. Uh, it's very Italian. Everybody's mm. happy, uh, and in this, the, the, at the confirmation party, it's every, you know they're surrounded by strangers. It's very waspy, and everybody's miserable. And it's it's our yeah, and and then you have and then yeah. you have uh, Frank Pantangeli show up, who's just like a ghost of that old world coming back to haunt Michael. And that he's probably he's probably my favorite part of that movie. I love mm. that character so much. Um, and just in like you said, the, the parallel with De Niro. And um, his rise, just how the, that's that's juxtaposed, mm. um, and just see everybody gets darker. You know, you see, um, you know, it, it just you see just the, it's it's funny because they're, they're they're more criminal in the first movie, but they're they're it's almost like they're better mm. people here. They're they're cleaning themselves <laughs> up, but they they get worse as people. Mm. Uh, so yeah, this is I, this this is a great movie. So you know, again, mm. um, everybody's heard me talk about this, so I'm not gonna go too long. Everybody else on uh, Godfather too. Uh, yeah, I, I was, this is one of my favorite movies of all time as well. Um, not going to talk about too much, but there is there's one scene, like one is the moment that I always love and I've never forgotten is when uh, when they're in the off office, like uh, Michael at the office. There's one. I think it might be the senator. He he sort of he points at Michael, and you you look at Michael, and he, his eyes. He just looks at the finger like, "You you sure you want to point your finger at me? <laughs> like, do you know who I am? Mm -hmm. I I just love that." I love that moment so much. I mean, I know that's that's a really weird thing to talk about, but 
Is the Godfather two? It's so it's mm-hmm. so great. Yeah. So obviously, again, like I mentioned, I made yeah. the decision not to put you know, a couple of stuff on here. I knew we would get to talk about it. Um, Michael is the Clemenza of my life, so shout out to young Clemenza in this movie. Um, but no, I mean, it's a great movie. I think the K confrontation with Michael is my mm. favorite scene, maybe in any Godfather movie. Um, for me, like as great as the scene is and as great as the performances are, I think like the De Niro stuff, I just don't love as much as I love being with the family, with the Corleones. That is the stuff I always find most compelling. So that's why like Sicily is probably my least favorite part of one as, as great as that stuff is. Like, and that's why sort of being away from them and just being in that inner world. Like, I understand why it's there. Obviously it's an incredible narrative device, but I think like, I love the other stuff so much that whenever it cuts away, I'm just a little disappointed. Um, but I mean, it's great. Lee Strasberg, legendary acting coach, getting like his only Oscar nomination, which is like such a cool thing. Um, yeah, I just want to, I, I love when Kay is talking to him when they're dancing, talking about like, oh, you told me it was, it was going to be five years. That was seven years ago and all the little details. Um, the way that the movies come together too, the, the, the closing of the door and the opening, that stuff is masterful. Mm-hmm. Gordon Willis, what what else can you say about this movie? It's just, it's immaculate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Godfather Part 2 would be my Godfather of choice. I think um, part of it that hurts me is I haven't seen it in eight years. Um, I have seen The Godfather more recently. Um, and also, I th- it, to be honest, there is a, a, a little voice in the back of my head you know, that wants to be unique and be different. And I think that unfairly, like, affects my ability to connect to the mm-hmm. Godfather because I don't want to be a basic bitch. Uh, <laughs> but, like, sometimes being basic, it means you're right. And so I, I got it. It's my own flaw that I got to get past. Um, and, and, but I think that's really why it's not on my list. Mm. And the drapes. Why are the drapes open, guys? The ultimate question. All right. Um, I think we're on to uh, Michael uh, for your number three. Yeah, this is a guy from earlier. It's uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver, mm. which I can't remember what number it was for Brendan. Uh, but uh, I think yeah, it this, was obviously, seven, but it might have been. Yeah. 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 Uh, obviously, this is another film that when you talk about the 70s, you have to mention Scorsese and De Niro. And this is my personal. It's tied with Rage Bull for my personal favorite, my favorite of this from the 70s. It's obviously, it's a classic story, one man's descent into just, I mean, not even descent. He, when we first see him, he's uh, crazy. Uh, and the, some of the things he does in this movie, he just like sort of leave you with a blank mm. face. You're just like, wow, he really took a, to, to a Borno flick for the first date. Uh, yeah. Um, I love that also this movie is like a pretty damnation of like the Vietnam War and like PTSD. Um, and I sort of, this is one of my first movie obsessions. I, when I was like 15, 16, I used to like, and I wasn't, it was like off school. I'd wake up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and just chuck this on just because the, the opening of this movie, it sort of lulls you, the the score by Bernardo. It's so soothing and calm and it's just like that classic jazz. And then all of a sudden from there when, to where we end up and he's like trying to assassinate somebody, it's just, it's spectacular. It's one of the defining '70s movies, and I could watch it anytime. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, Brenda. Yeah, this was your seven. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, we're talking about this is it's like the best performances of the '70s. You do, you know, I'm kind of going through them, and we're going through, you know, Martin Sheen, Apocalypse Now, Al Pacino, you know, in the Godfather films, and and to me, De Niro and Taxi Driver. This is my favorite De Niro performance. I just think he's so terrific in this. I think it is. It is so scary, uh, 
there's things about it that are sympathetic. Uh, but to me, what's so amazing about this is it's so real. I mean, it's so real in a, in a character that feels unpredictable and feels different. And yet uh, De Niro grounds it so beautifully. The score, this is one of those things like we talked a little about with the conversation where every scene has that atmosphere. There's something about the atmosphere in every scene that just kind of grounds you in it. And I think what's kind of interesting about Taxi Driver is, is it, it, it's almost like two different um, movements in a way. Like the first part of the movie, well, so much of it gets paid off later, focuses on a different character. You know, there's this whole thing with Sybil Shepherd and Albert Brooks that isn't as, as relevant in the end, but then it becomes about Jodie Foster. And I think what's cool about the movie is that it's that consistency of directorial tone and the work of, um, of De Niro uh, and just that the, the score that just, you, I just love, even though it's not comfortable, even though he's not likable, there's something great about sinking into this movie, you know, when when a master is so in command, both the actor and the director. Uh, it's uh, it, there's something wonderful about that. Yeah, anybody who knows me knows I love gross '70s New York, and it doesn't <laughs> get more gross '70s New York than Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, this movie is so good. Yeah. Just that atmosphere. I feel like when I watch this movie, I feel like I can smell it. Like it's just so the atmosphere is just so overpowering. And yeah, the, the th great thing about this performance is like he's scary, but there's also like a banality to it. Like he's just un like you said, he's uncomfortable. Like you, it's just somebody you wouldn't want to be around. Not necessarily because he's dangerous, but because he's so just so awkward, just so painfully awkward. Just so many of those scenes like where he takes her on the date. And he's trying to talk to her mm -hmm. and he calls her on the phone later and he just doesn't get it. And, you know, it could be, you know, this movie could have went a completely different direction and not been had that like vibes. It could have just been just like this completely anti-social outcast who doesn't do anything because you're not sure like it's the thing you like when you first watch it, you're not you which way is this guy going to go yeah. and you know it, it is that final descent that kind of you know he, he falls off the edge at the end um but just like you said exploring that character and kind of be just you know he, he something about the performance brings you on board even though you don't want to be and you're like you, you want to look away but you can't and uh, that's great about it. Yeah, the score the score is so good it kind of reflects just the rest of the feel of it and like his mentality mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, just a beautiful movie. Good pick. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, Todd Phillips has never been better as a director. Uh, really just amazing <laughs> what he did with this film. Now, I mean, yeah, this is kind of the peak of that sort of man in a room ethic where it's this guy disconnected from the world mm. and letting his mind wander and wander and wander and expand into these crazy different heights. Um, and Leonard Harris is like a pretty underrated performance in this movie as, as, as Palantine, as a character we all are familiar with by name. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just terrific, terrific stuff. Um, every actor is phenomenal. I think it goes, again, these ebbs and flows, um, Travis's interactions with different types of people too. It's not just the same people over and over mm. again. You see how he is with one person versus how he is with another. Um, funny mm. story, apparently when I was like eight, I had seen this movie somehow, and I used to do the you talking to me thing in the mirror a lot, according to my parents. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me as a person. Um, but yeah, I mean, just phenomenal performance, and, and it looks gorgeous, I think, too. Like, that's kind of one of the underrated things is how good this movie looks. Mm. Well, mm. not good, but how, how impressive it looks. And it's just, yeah, mm. I mean, what are you going to say? It's Taxi Driver. Yeah, um, I think you, Paul, should have went with a Queen Latifah joke instead, but, you know, you do. I was you. close. Uh, Danny DeVito, I was, like, really right there. <laughs> I know where your humor goes off way with Queen Latifah. And I, was just, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I love Taxi Driver. I think the main reason it's on my list is because it was my number one last week for duos um, mm. with Robert De Niro and Scorsese. Um, it's 
between this and Goodfellas fight for my favorite Scorsese, um, I would say my favorite's near performance. Mean Streets just because I like um, the live wire performance. Um, something you don't see that much from De Niro, and I I just tend to be drawn to those kind of characters. But um, but Taxi Driver, I, I I do want to talk about the cinematography since it was just brought up. Um, and Michael was talking about how the you know score is kind of relaxing. Even the cinematography at points, especially when he's driving the cab, even though it's so grimy and dark around, just the haziness has like a relaxing, calming effect. The um, kind of put you in a daze before. Um, you know, the, you know, reality and where his, you know, darkest of minds goes, could, starts to hit, hit, hit you and, you know, bring you back into you know, the griminess of the earth. So um, it's a great, it's a great movie. Great choice. Um, you're a better person than us, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the twos. And uh, Paul, start with you if you're number two. Uh, not a movie I expect anyone else to have. This is a hyper-personal movie to me. Um, for so many, so many different reasons. Uh, and that's 1979's Breaking Away. Uh, it's directed by Peter Yates. It's about four young men um, who, who come together in, the, in Bloomington, Indiana. That's, of course, where I went to college. And that's the college um, is the setting um, that, that I, I, I'm an alma mater. Um, but it's just, it's such an incredible story of these outsiders of this world and how they come together to become something that they couldn't be on their own. Um, the lead character played by Dennis Christopher, Dave Stoller is like such a charming, effusive man that I think like anybody would be hard pressed to really dislike. He's got, he made this weird decision where he suddenly wants to pretend he's Italian to everyone, including his parents. He speaks Italian at home. His dad absolutely hates it, which is like one of my favorite bits in the whole movie, which comes around at the very end to like a very hilarious conclusion. But it's so inspiring how this movie sort of explores them as people. And also, you know, they become athletes and they enter into this bike race and it's both a sports movie and a coming-of-age movie, which, which are two of my big interests. And I love the dy dynamic between these people. I love what Dave does to sort of woo Katerina, as he calls her, which is the, this girl that goes to, to Indiana. Um, and how that sort of resolves itself in the end as well. Great. I mean, Dennis Quaid is giving a really cool, it's like this kind of disillusioned jock who kind of was obviously like a star athlete in high school, doesn't know where to go with his life, Jackie Earl Haley. Daniel Stern, kind of underrated in this movie as like kind of the forgotten friend of the bunch, but I think he's phenomenal. Um, I love them together. I love the way the music is handled. The the, the climactic scene of, of the race is, I think, rivals almost any sports scene. It's such a great underdog story. Um, yeah, it's just it's amazing, and it's such a perfect portrayal of the town of Bloomington, Indiana, which is somewhere that I spend a lot of my life. Um, I love the way that it, it shows all the different places how the city has changed over time. It's just one of my personal favorite movies. Always will be, probably. Um, you know, it's not necessarily will be a favorite for everyone, but I, I love it so much and. Just got all these colors that I love. <laughs> uh, Breaking away, I've not seen yet. I found today a really crappy bootleg on YouTube, uh, so I started mm. watching. I watched a little bit. Of that. I think like that, like the first like ten minutes of the movie's cut off. Like and, the, the quarry kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was. I I got to see a little bit. What I saw, I liked. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by this. Just the idea, like you said, that. Um, that coming of age and sports, and uh, no, I mean, coming of age could go wrong for me. So, uh, the jury's out on this. You know, there might be some stuff that doesn't do it for me, but the cast, like, it looks like there's like a lot of, you know, like, er, you know, like you said, early roles for a lot of these guys. Um, so yeah, this one I definitely want to check out. Looks like a lot of fun. And by the way, there's but this director, I also made a choice to only pick one. Otherwise, I would have had at least one other film from this director probably on my list at some point. So. Uh, anybody else on Breaking Away? Yeah, so. Uh, okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors. Just let okay, Zach okay. go since he's the most uh, negative, I think. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay, so I, I saw this like two years ago, like because of Paul, and he sort of gave me his Amazon uh, Prime account, which I could still use. I can't do it anymore because they sort of cut that off. Uh, yeah, so I saw the only reason it's on my list one, I knew Paul would have it, and two, I haven't <laughs> seen it like in legit two years, but I do love it for a lot of the reasons Paul makes. Like, it's got coming of age, sports, two genres I really respond to, and I just love the Italians. I, I, lo- I love that <laughs> sequence. It's so funny. Yeah, it's really great. Really great. And like Paul said, that the ending that sports is just mm. like, edgy stuff it's brilliant mm-hmm. yeah so um i want nope <laughs> oh, I think. did he did he freeze there oh is that he froze for everybody he's running trash anyway i can so, go i can go because i i watched this for the first time like a couple of months ago actually i think maybe like three months ago um and i thought it was great i mean it's i, I didn't consider it for the best of the decade but it's definitely one of my favorite films of that year i think i i just think it's for all the reasons Paul said, all the performances are great. The four kids uh, are great together. They have great chemistry. They're all different in ways that feel authentic. They're not movie types. They feel like authentic kids that are just different. Um, I love the the atmosphere of the town. There's a particular sequence, you know, where uh, um, his father, the Christopher character, and his father are walking around, and, and his father talks about how he built these buildings, and then uh, they got, he's now not high class enough to sort of engage and be in the buildings, you know? And, and just the way he talked about how it's like he built the buildings then they became too good for him. And that just hit me. I just thought, wow, I mean, we've seen films deal with class in that way, but there was something about that scene that really, I thought, I was like, I'll never forget forget that scene. Um, it's very, very funny. Uh, it, it's really well-directed. There's a real beauty to it. There's a real tranquil quality uh, to it. Uh, and it, it allows the, the moments of humor. And there are these moments of humor that are like, not broad in a bad way, but they are funny. Like he's, you know, he's really obsessed with Italy and his father is very mad and it's big and it's funny. And, but it, it, it's all in that same key. It never breaks its tone. It never breaks its vibe, which feels very grounded. And, and yeah, so I think it's really wonderful film. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I watched it with a lot of my family too. And everybody really enjoyed it. So yeah, it's great. Doesn't he, when he's on that date, doesn't he also speak in the Italian accent as well? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, so I watched this under Paul's request um, and through blackmail. Um, I, I was required to watch it. This was um, not, this was oh, months actually, ago. This was I watched it like, in, yeah, like March for, yeah, the year marathon. Um, there's no collusion. I'm really, I have a guilt complex. I just want to please everybody. I did not collude. Um, <laughs> You disavowed the allegation. I was fairly underwhelmed by it. I I found the, the, you know, Italian thing a little corny. um, And I feel like there's other characters that had some more complex lives. I would have been interested in, you know, being the protagonist instead, especially like this Quaid's character, you know, had a lot of internal conflict about where his life was leading or not leading and kind of being stuck as a townie. And I I think they kind of just forget to explore those supporting characters' lives. Um, I feel like it's set up as a, you know, ensemble movie of young friends, but they just, I don't feel like it cares enough about them to, for me to follow. I feel like he's a good, he's a good like lead though, every man lead, as opposed to like the real quirky side characters of the group of friends. It's like having the whole movie just be about them could also not work. So I think, like, his name's Dave, right? Yeah. Dave. yeah so I think he's a good everyman lead. Like, that works. Fun, fun fact about this movie, they're, they're the big underdogs in the movie. But now in real life, they're like the winningest team in Little 500 history because that race goes on every year. And now they're like dominant. Like, it's 
they recruit people like from all different kind of things. They won the race like two years, the last two years in a row. So it's like a funny thing where like it's such a different context now. But, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. All right, Zach, uh, you're number two. What's better than breaking away? Um, well, obviously, but breaking away, it's all the president's men. Um, classic choice. Um, I, I'm a, a sucker for journalistic movies. Um, I feel like watching a journalist go through the grind of uncovering the information they need and, and getting their story is, you know, probably more engaging than most detective stories. My true detective is journals. There are real heroes out there today. Um, and, um, I think, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford have all the, you know, charisma you need to make, you know, watching them, you know, ask questions and write stuff down and type and be on telephones to make that engaging. You have to have the star power to make that, you know, work. Um, and I think the pacing of the story helps you keep really engaged in the mystery of the plot, even though we all know what happens. That's the magic of what movies can do. Sometimes you forget that this is, you know, based on history and that you know the ending because um, you're still like, how is this going to turn out? How are they, It's about how are they going to find out the, you know, the information they need and, and get the answers. And, um, you know, when you can make interviewing a bunch of people, you know, lightly related to the incident. So, um, you know revelatory and exciting it, it, it's it's a feat and i could watch this movie every day i just find it this and like spotlight just journalist movies that are so watchable to me and i, I could watch it yeah every every evening uh see i'm on the opposite of you zach i'm really not into like procedurals you know be they you know journalistic or whatever um i'm not at, like spotlight I, I i really never connected with uh this movie i did not expect to like and i really did and it rides on the you know the the power of redford and hoffman and again here we are in, in our number two so i think it's the first time either of them have come up which is kind of crazy to me uh but yeah it's it's the two of them uh they're great and especially hoffman hoffman's fantastic and that ending the ending of this movie is so good that final scene is just mind-blowing just how it just sits on it forever i love that so much um everybody else on all the president's men uh okay yeah, go ahead. i'm uh like i said i i would have had this on if i was making just like a proper just you know text list this would be on my list I'm, I'm a big watergate junkie like i really love movies that are about that and sort of the, the 70s sort of government uh i also love dick the kirsten dunn some shell williams movie for that reason oh, the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh but uh yeah <laughs> uh, and i also like that i'm a big uh, fan of journalist movies so this hits right in the sweet sweet spot and like kirk mentioned the ending is i just sits me forever i love, I love this is brilliant. Yeah. This is pure 70s. Yeah, this is one that's been a long time since I've seen. I have just saw that it's available on streaming here, and I, I, I'm going to probably rewatch it soon. Uh, I really, really need to rewatch this because it's just been a while. I mean, this is one of those movies I watched when I was, um, I think, maybe like in my early teens. So it's been a while now. And I really liked it when I saw it. Uh, Hal Holbrook is also great uh, as, yeah. as the Deep Throat character. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I'm really eager to go back and, uh, and revisit this one and see, cause it's just one of those things that I really liked it when I was younger, but now it's been so many years that I, I'm excited to go back and see where, where it would rank for me. Um, yeah. Once now that I'm watching it, cause it just, it's just been so many years and so many movies in between, but, uh, I loved it when I saw it. Uh, I was totally engaged by it. Loved the performances, loved the, the whole, uh, the whole pacing and atmosphere of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I really want to rewatch it to really be able to talk about it in a more um, present tense. Yeah, I love the tactility of this movie. I think, especially the sound design, is some of the best sound design that's ever been done. I think, like, 
the click the click clacking of all the typewriters, all the people talking in the background, that stuff is so well layered. I think that Pakula is one of the, the directors that best understands how to make sound design present, but not make it overwhelm the dialogue. You know, you can still understand what Redford and Hoffman are talking about. Um, I think that Robards is amazing in this movie. Like him mm. as Ben Bradley, to me, like that makes Tom Hanks look kind of bad because when you compare the two, it's just not, it's not comparable at all. Um, there's like 10 Oscar nominees in this movie too, which is <laughs> insane. Like one of the most insane casts. Um, but yeah, Pakula, one of my favorite directors of the 70s, as I mentioned earlier, this is probably his best movie. Um, I think I'd like Clute a little more, but it's kind of neck and neck. Redford and Hoffman are both immaculate. I think I actually prefer Redford in this, using his movie star persona um, to make his character sort of be that presentable face that's like the friendly guy um, that kind of gets them into these different situations where Hoffman is more kind of weaselly under the radar. But yeah, I mean, amazing movie. I, I, there's kind of a movie that there, there are no flaws. It's crazy that in the in the year that this movie came out, what what won Best Picture is is still kind of crazy. Even though I kind of get it, but it's it's still kind of blows my mind. Yeah, shout out to Jack Warden just because he's my favorite that guy of all time. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Brennan, your number two. Yeah, well, I think I can't now remember, but it was a yikes from earlier, which is uh, Terrence Malick's uh, Days of Heaven. Uh, yes, it all. And for a lot of the reasons um, why we when we were talking about Badlands, for a lot. Of, you know, a lot of the reasons you were saying about that, like that is also why I think Days of Heaven works in that it has all the beauty of Terrence Malick's direction, the free-flowing camera, the, the dreamlike atmosphere, this connection to nature and to the land. And yet also in a story that I think would be really, really compelling on its own. You know, it's about these two, this is Richard, uh, Richard Gere, and I believe her name is Brooke Adams. Brooke Adams. Uh, yeah. yeah, Brooke Adams, yeah, who, who are working... Um, for Sam Shepard, who, and actually what's cool is I'm, I'm from Alberta and that's where I am right now. And it's actually filmed in Alberta where I grew up. So that's cool. Um, and uh, it just, it's beautiful prairies. It's one of the most beautiful films ever made. And it's just this house in a field, essentially. I mean, it feels very secluded. It feels very separated from society. And I don't even want to say too much because that's what's cool about Days of Heaven is it connects you to the land. It connects you to sort of, it's a child's almost memories. So there's a dreamlike remembrance. Talk about um, Apocalypse Now being like a dark memory. This is like a memory as well. It has that similar feeling. And uh, But the story is interesting. I mean, it almost resembles, there's something almost, um, almost. I mean, it's a totally different tone, but it has almost the machinations of a Coen Brothers X plot in that they engage in something that is deceptive and then it doesn't quite go the way that they expect. And so what's cool about it is that it has that kind of engine underneath it, and yet it couldn't feel more different from any kind of thing like that. They're sort of conning this guy, but it, it doesn't feel that way. It feels artistic and connected to nature. And, and, and it feels as if, what I think is really great about it is Terrence Malick always seems to be distilling the narrative that he's working on. He seems to be taking it and taking it to its most basic raw core. And, and when you have something like Days of Heaven, which I think is such an incredible story to begin with, it really does achieve a unique power um, in this story and that it does feel like a really interesting story stripped to its bare essentials, stripped to its rawest emotions. And I saw it for the first time in a theater. Like it's one of those movies that I'm not sure if I just seen it at home, if it would have the same, you know, if it would have the same feeling, maybe it would be a little lower on the list. But for me, uh, I've only seen it the one time in the theater like four years ago and I still remember it as being so impactful, so overwhelming visually, while also having a story that I really hooked into and was excited to see what would happen next. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens whenever I revisit it. Um, I'd be interested to see if it goes up or goes down or where it is. But for now, uh, my memory of that in, the in 
in theater experience. Just it's that high for me. I just I loved it. Yeah, so this is my number nine, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I want to give a lot of credit to Linda Mans, who's the little girl who just recently passed away. Right. Actually, she oh, is yeah. astonishing in this movie. Like, um, I was stuck mm -hmm. between two different Brooke Adams nineteen seventy eight movies, as as Michael might know what I'm referring to. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, this this movie is insane. They shot only for like an hour a day because he wanted to be during golden hour the whole time, which is why the whole thing has such a serene, relaxed atmosphere. It's one of the most beautiful movies ever made, I think. The soundscape is so gentle and simple. There's not a lot of overly complicated stuff going on, um, but it strips the story down to its, its its core, and it has just these these. It's really just the four people living this life, sort of really disconnected from the world. You could almost mm -hmm. not even really tell when it's set, aside from a couple, obviously, of, of certain things that happen here and there. But it's just remarkable. Like the the house is just this image of total disconnect and isolation, mm -hmm. and it sort of lets these people's relationships really be pushed to the forefront mm -hmm. and become the most important thing. Um, it's got a really, like, really moving ending as well. Like the last twenty minutes is are really striking. I thought I love how it kind of comes full circle to that that very mm -hmm. opening. Um, great narration as kind of all all of Malik's great films do. Um, yeah, it's just a striking, beautiful movie. I just watched it for the first time recently. I watched it twice in the last week and uh, two and a half mm -hmm. weeks. I wanted to make sure it was good enough to make the list, and I just it's remarkable. It's only like ninety minutes. It's so good. yeah, it's short too. Yeah, which is yeah. funny because it does it feels like epic almost. Yeah, that's what I was going to say about this. I watched this for the first time this week because it was on both of your lists, and that's what struck me. This feels like a three-hour movie told in 90 minutes, and I mean that in a good way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think another filmmaker could have made this a three-and-a-half-hour movie, and that would not be good. I, I love the fact that, the, you know, the beginning of the movie, that foreman's dead in, like, the first 20 seconds, and he's on the run, you know? Mm -hmm. So that could have very easily been, like, a 45-minute part of the movie. Like, we didn't need anything. There's a real economy of the story here. We don't need, get anything we don't absolutely need to just get that one story that's happening with these characters. Um, you know, Paul, you mentioned the narration. I really like the narration of it. Um, that could very easily not work, but I think uh, her narr narration, the way she talks, uh, it's so real and so natural and so sincere uh, that it, it, it really does work. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think the only thing I don't like about it, I'm not a Richard Gere guy. Um, I think if you give Richard Gere anything to do besides be slightly charming, you're asking too much of him. I really, really love to see another actor in that role. Uh, but, uh, I think other than that, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Adam Shepard is so good though. I think that it he almost is, kind yeah. of has really Yeah. Shepard is really good. Yeah. Seb Shepard is really good. This, yeah. Yeah. So this was really a this or that for me. I just chose Badlands over Days of Heaven. It could have went the opposite way. Um, no specific reason. Um, but it, it's it's a beautiful movie. Um, you know, both visually and, um, you know, poetically. And it, uh, it, I'm sorry, it's getting real late and I'm losing all train of thought. So <laughs> I'm just going to go with like, I, lo I love the movie. I, I wish I could have the experience to see it in theaters like Brendan did. And, and maybe one day. It will happen um, when you know there's actually theaters. So, yeah, it's so funny. I just I'll say it. What's so funny? I realized I forgot I was going to mention is that there was just this really amazing time where I was living like near the theater that was showing all those old movies, and I saw weirdly enough Carrie, Badlands, and Days of Heaven all around the same time. So it's funny they're on your list. Like it was just a really lucky window where I think they were doing a tribute to like Jack Fisk, who I think was the production designer maybe or something like that or uh, so i yeah i, I made you speak of school but it's just funny that they were both on your list because they're all just such great films 
I love that in LA, they're like they're doing tributes to like production design. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was in New York actually. It was in New York. Oh, okay. I was there for a few months, and they were doing it. Museum of the Moving Image, and and yeah, it's like uh, yeah, I think it was. I, I, if I, I I might be speaking out of school, I have to see someone have to look it up. But I think he may have had a relationship with Sissy Spacek, maybe, or maybe I'm crazy. But it's Sorry. interesting. It was yeah, it was a very interesting person to be doing tribute. Yeah, um, I saw this for the first time like two weeks ago too because I had four considerations. It's one that I've always wanted to see, so I rented mm. from the library. And then like two, two days later, Paul said that like it's probably going to be on Brennan's list because he loves that movie, so I sort of got lucky. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you guys have said all everything correct, I agree with. And there's, there's the scene where all the bugs show up. That is mm. just like, you You could put that on portrait. That's yeah. to see that you know, on the big screen would be mm. incredible. That is... That is that is like That's literally a, I just can't forget that what image out of my head. Movie like, houses ever. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I feel like this is very there's there's like a lot of biblical imagery here, mm. like with the bugs and just like the them being on the run. It felt like like an old testament story almost. Just very, yeah. very like you said, like very mm. very short but also very epic. Now it's very much into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh Michael, keep it going with your number two. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, not really surprising me. You know, I mean, this is sort of like this swaps between, uh, so this and almost famous swap between like my favorite movies. It's uh, 1978's Halloween. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Halloween on this list because uh, I'm Michael. Uh, I really can't be like objective about this movie. This is like one of my first movie loves. I still have the old, old DVD from when I was young. Uh, the way Carpenter is able to do so much and uh, with so little is it just never. Ne fails to like blow my mind uh there's just in broad daylight he's just following uh, michael in the car and that is just absolutely terrifying that's all you need um like the opening scene uh the opening sequence is it's one of the greatest introductions uh in introductory scenes i've seen because it tells mm. you all you need to know it's just this little boy who just has nothing and just killed his sister just because like there's no reason given. There's no reason needed to be given. And Michael, uh, he's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> like, obviously, I'm a huge Halloween franchise fan. The way Nick Castle, like, plays him as just the way he moves, it's like he's moving, but he's not giving any thought to where he'll go. We uh, could turn right, turn left. He just happened to stumble upon Laurie, went up to his house, and that's how they happen to come in contact. And he's like, I you look like someone I could probably kill. So I'll follow you around. <laughs> uh, and I love this like little callbacks where you, you meet uh, Laurie's friend's dad, who was like in the police. They, they meet at like a convenience store that had just been robbed. And everything they mention is all the things that Michael uh, later comes up with uses like a knife and things like that. And yeah, I mean, it, this is just one of the best home movies of all time. The way Jamie Lee plays Laurie, she's so wholesome, so, so nice and pure. And obviously that's like really plays into the whole horror genre about, you know, the virgin, so to speak. And it's just mm. terrifying. And like the, the concept of like the boogeyman uh, with these two little mm. kids, it's just, mm. it's Halloween, man. Like you can't really <laughs> say much that hasn't been said. It's actually it's September 2nd, but. I just saw this for the first time a couple years ago and I think it just got hyped up for me so much especially the character of Michael Myers himself because um, I'd seen some like the sequels and it was just weird to like see him driving a car 
and you know, stuff like that. It is funny that like he he's in like a mental like a institution from like five to twenty one, and then he learns how to drive stick shift like many. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But just like just like I mean, and I think it's one. He's one of those characters. I think like all the you know all these iconic characters like develop more in the sequels. And in this one, it's just like it, it. Like I'm like you know, okay, he was he, he killed his sister. He's in the mental institution. Doesn't really explain why he's unstoppable. Why he's like this, like you know, this just. Uh, this Donald doesn't explain. He'll yeah, explain yeah. it ten yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, but that, but I mean, like, the, yeah, he says yeah. it, but like, it's he's like a walking okay. exposition machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I was really surprised how easy it is to just kind of stab Michael Myers and put him down for a minute and run away. Just like I just like, just keep that coat hanger, just keep stabbing him and running. They'll never get you. Um, but yeah, again, I, there's there is a lot of cool stuff in this, and I like Halloween movies. Like, I mean, like movies about the holiday Halloween. I always enjoy that aesthetic, and I think that's done really well here. Um, but like I said, I think like just the, the 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 mythos and the character was too hyped up for me going into this, so kind of you know lost something for me. Uh, everybody else in Halloween. Yeah, so I, I was talking to Michael about this. I recently found my VHS copy of it. So when he mentioned the DVD, I was tempted to kind of run over and grab that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, a phenomenal movie. One of the best scores of any movie, like horror or non-horror ever. It's so iconic at this point. Um, I think the POV stuff is really scary still. Like, I think that stuff actually really holds up when you're looking at it from the killer's point of view. Like, that's such a weird place to put you in. And this is, I think, one of the first movies that really does that. This in Black Christmas, I think, um, kind of put you in the on the point of view of the killer. And I think that's such a fascinating visual style um this is so simple i love that they're i, I like kirk saying he does he wishes there was more to it i kind of like that it's so bare bones that you don't really know much that mystery is kind of what makes it scary to me sort of the ultimate again he's the ultimate boogeyman in the sense that you don't understand why he's there or what he's doing but you just know that he's coming after these people and and they're kind of being picked off one by one um i love you know again laurie as a character the way she fights back is really great this is this is an amazing horror movie one of the great defining horror movies of all time let alone the seven yeah, yes. I, I. Oh, go ahead, you go ahead. Um, so along the same lines of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it is where I like can appreciate the craft, but then also be, you know, confounded with what is the craft for? You know, what's the point? I guess to scare, but once again, it's that is just not a way I react often to movies. Um, so it's hard for me to understand where people get that reaction from. Um, just watching, you know, people be stabbed is, is not um, something I find terrifying or need to be watched. And once again, I think if there's some more thematic depth that can, you know, last outside of the 70s, then maybe I, I can find a way into that movie. But without that, I, I don't see a purpose. Yeah, I mean, I do I do really, really like this film. I'm definitely on the side of, of thinking it's really well done and, and very strong. Uh, I'm probably in the middle. I mean, I, I really like it. It's not one of my favorite, favorite films of that year, but I, I love Halloween as, as a horror film and as a film. And I just think the part of it that I stands out to me is what Carpenter does at the beginning when it's light. I mean, it's he creates tension. The score helps, but it's also the craft of how he's able to make uh, a man in the daytime, so unsettling, you know, and there is something about that. that's not always used. He's, he's outside the window or he's down the street. And just the usage of that requires such a mastery of craft and, and the right score, the right, where you're putting the camera, where you're positioning the, the boogeyman and the evil. And to me, it's a masterclass in that at the beginning. Um, and I love that. And yeah, I, I just think it's a really, really strong film. Um, and I, I uh, yeah, I think what's really impressive about this is like you said, he had so little to work with that he, he needed he needed to have you know carpenter need to use film just clever filmmaking and uh clever usage of the medium uh to to get across the horror aspects of it especially at the beginning and so that really blew, blew me away when i watched it. 
that aspect of it. One of my favorite moments is when uh, Michael, he, he kills one of the people in the house and then he just looks up and like looks down and then we cut to Michael coming into the bedroom with a sh- sheet over him with glasses. Like, yeah. that, why did Michael do that? I have no idea, but I love it. He's like, <laughs> yeah. this the teenage girl. Uh, and this is one I'd love to see in a theater. I've never, never seen this in a theater. Yeah. I'm sure I got to see this on Halloween cool. like two years ago. Oh, wow. Really oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, I'd love to see this with a packed house on Halloween, or not just in the theater. All right, uh, time we've all been waiting for. Uh, everybody's number one. Paul, we're going to start with you. What's your number one movie of the 1970s? Uh, this will not come as a surprise to anyone who's ever spoken to me about movies. Uh, <laughs> number one is my number one favorite movie of all time, uh, and that's 1976's Network. Um, I Again, I'm going to come out... I almost thought with, you weren't going to put this on just... I was kind of sort of tempted. Uh, I'm going to come out the gate with some hyperbole. I think this is the great American screenplay. Um, I think that the way this this takes our systems of news and reappraises it through the lens of these different people and people at different levels of the news company is such brilliance. I think when it takes these people and uses them as devices to tell the story of the way the news is delivered to people, the way that news affects people, the way that the people delivering the news are affected by the way that they're they're delivering that is so compelling. And, you know, Peter Finch won the Oscar and, and all credit to him. But to me, William Holden is this movie, Heart and Soul. Um, you see him, you know, kind of, it's kind of like real William Holden too. He's grappling with his aging and the fact that he's not the person that everyone sort of knows him as. And it's him in the, in the waning years of his life, he's grasping onto whatever he can. He enters this relationship with Faye Dunaway's character. Um, and he just wants to feel something and he feels like he's not really alive anymore. Almost. He's kind of going through the motions. Um, Robert Duvall is like one of the great, like D bags of all time in this movie. He's such a horrible, horrible person. Um, Faye Dunaway, again, super striking in this movie. I think it looks kind of, it's again, it's one of those movies that I think looks a lot better than it gets credit for. Um, and the way that they position Howard Beale as this figure that the news corporation wants to push forward. Um, it's again, it feels so, so eerily prescient when you watch this movie today. Um, the fact that it was made in 1976 and, and rings so true today is kind of terrifying. But I love that it, it has great statements of, of, of sort of grandeur, but also about character and people um, and what, what these sort of acts do to people's relationships and sort of the, the, the way that Faye Dunaway kind of poisons William Holden's character is so compelling to me. Um, it's a movie that top to bottom, every aspect of it, I absolutely love. I, it's really funny, which is, again, something that, that doesn't quite get talked about enough, I think, is, is how ridiculous some of the scenarios are, especially the interaction at the beginning at the bar. Um, yeah, it's just incredible, incredible movie. Not really anything negative I could possibly find to say about it. It's my favorite movie, yeah. It's great. Yeah, um, so many great performances in there, you mentioned. like I love Faye Dunaway's character, how she's like just like unapologetically and admittedly like a bad person. Like she, knows, she and she knows it, and she's okay. Like she's like, this is just who I am. I'm a bad person, and um, she she makes no bones about it, and just you know, just what evolves from that, and how how that makes her so perfect for that job, which is scary. And um, yeah, Holden's great. I love Ned Beatty. You have oh, yeah, his, his, yeah, the primal yeah, forces that of the nature. Top, yeah, yeah, just yeah. that overtop performance is so good, and I it's just the fact that it's like a satire, but it doesn't really let you in on the joke. Like you slowly start to figure it out. Um, it's just such a great way, like the, uh, the way the story is told, uh, and and yeah, it's 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 just a really good. I mean, and it's crazy. Again, we're at number one now, and this is the first time uh, silly lament movie's been brought out. Yeah, now this is the lament movie I would put on mm-hmm. the list. Um, but I mean, it's definitely uh, a, a, a good number one because it, it is really solid. 
Yeah, I actually watched this. I'd seen it before, but I watched this again uh, this year too. So it's really fresh in my mind. I knew Paul would probably have it on the list, but it definitely like right outside, like when talking about the eight to 15 or whatever, this is definitely in that range. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, again, this, this time William Holden's performance really stood out for me too. Uh, it's just really, really, it's just his whole life is worn on his face and he carries himself in such a wonderful, wonderful way as a performer. It's such a, there's something kind of crushing about it as a viewer. And yeah, it, it, it's it, the dialogue is, is, you know, it just, it, there's so many lines, you know, speak of the Ned Beatty speech, there's so many things he says in that, that you just are like, wait, this feels like we are kind of getting closer and closer. Some of the stuff that he's talking about, which is always amazing when you look at any film from that long ago. Uh, and the framing, you know, that's that's what's amazing about a film like Network. You can talk about the performance of Ned Beatty. You can talk about, you know, the dialogue. But then you can talk about the framing, those long, you know, lands and he's at the end. And the choosing to play so much of that scene in that shot is so bold and so exciting. And so when you've got a film that that is literally firing on all three of those uh, cylinders is is pretty thrilling to me. So, yeah, no, I I'm not a bad word to say about Network. And I, I uh, it'll be continually scary, but I'm sure every time I revisit it, it'll might be more and more resemble the world we live in, which I'm not necessarily sure will be as fun in 20 years, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I rewatched this uh, like two weeks ago because I hadn't seen like three years and I knew you'd be brought up by someone. Um, yeah, and you guys agree with everything you said. The way like talking about Holden, the way he just like leaves his wife just to like sort of inject some sort of like energy mm. into himself for like no no real reason at all he just decides to leave his wife for like a horrible person uh the way, and like obviously the wife played by beatrice Strait, who like won an oscar and she's in one scene it's, <laughs> yeah. it's always like a crazy fact to think about that um and i love that they after all the success like howard beale has brought them they're so prepared to just cut him after one <laughs> night of like a ratings dip they're just like yeah we'll just kill him like after one night even though i would shoot those sort of spoilers there but yeah like it's just I, I love that they're just like so casual about it yeah we'll just fire him he's yeah yeah like a year true. of success but one one random monday it sort of dripped uh dipped and they're just ready to let go of him that's so uh, indicative of the way these corporations work and yeah it's great yeah, so um, I like Network, but just not to the passion and enthusiasm of many others. Um, and, and, and I really think it is, I'm just not as fond of cynicism as others can be. And you'll see with my number one pick that I go completely the other route, um, the opposite of cynicism. Um, and and um, But I think there's a lot to you know love. I think on a surface level, it is very entertaining. Um, I love Ned Beatty, you know, in the movie, um, in his short while, I feel like he can steal the scene. He is just, you know, lightning and thunder coming from the sky when he is on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I find it entertaining that level. And I know there's a lot more going on with this movie than just the media aspects as far as thematically. But um, I think it does get a little hurt to where, you know, outside of 1976 now, and they relive now, the idea that, you know, TV can be manipulative, exploitive. It's just kind of like duh. So, um. yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, same way. Is the way it, it feeds into the way media has become manipulative, though. I will say, all right, TV maybe isn't the same force. But what I always find interesting about it is that it resembles the way social media, or you, you know, that's what I think is interesting about it. But yeah, that's true. TV is 
literally, yeah, I guess it's interesting to see that it's, of course, it yeah, wasn't quite, yeah. it, it morphed, right? The thing that everyone thought was terrible about TV has sort of morphed in so many different ways. It's not, wasn't literally the television. All right, Zach, go ahead and hit us with that non-cynical number one. Um, so uh, I was watching Daniel Tiger the other day um, with my little one. Um, he has no idea what's going on, but I enjoy the show enough. Um, and and I, I was thinking about how the morals or, you know, lessons and in, in the meaningfulness of what children's uh, media <laughs> often gets easily dismissed as adults as either like, you know, it means nothing because it's like simplified for children or, you know, it doesn't really speak to the reality. Uh, On the edge of my seat. I think that uh, uh, really unfair because if it, if we can give a fair chance to children's entertainment, um, like I'm watching Daniel Tiger, I'm like, you know what? I need, when I get really mad and I want to roar, I need to take deep breaths and count the four. It's an important lesson. I would probably be a better human if I listen to Daniel Tiger. Um, and I, I also think I'm a better human when I listen to Way the Pooh, my number one as many as It's in my class of movies, which I call therapy movies. I'm also talking about Daniel Tiger, like um, the new Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is the same thing to where like, if I feel like I am struggling and I'm being reflective of my flaws, I'm not happy with the way I have you know, been acting on this earth, watching Winnie the Pooh or May Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood can ground me, remind me what it means to be, you know, kind and, and good in this earth. It's so much wiser than any child can understand. It's not unique for me to say that there's like philosophical aspects of Winnie the Pooh. There's a whole like series of books of like the Tower of Pooh, the Philosophy of Pooh. And um, it, I feel like it helps me, at least reminds me of what it means to be a bad person. Maybe I'm not acting that out and I'm, I'm not following through, but you know, Wayne the Pooh's a goofy little bear, but he, the way he lived life and it's kind of lackadaisical, but like carefree and accepting of everything that comes to him. Um, and you know, the other characters re represent a lot of the neuroses, but Pooh just having this you know, the world will come to me as is, and I will take it, and I will always be who I am, and I'll ever be down is a lot more um, relevant to, you know, what we need to be as adults, and maybe the world would be a better place if people wouldn't just mess go dumb kids movie, and I don't care. All right, I think there might be some confusion here, Zach. I, I didn't ask for Theo's <laughs> favorite movie from the 70s. I wanted yours. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you made a the best possible argument for putting the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh as your number one movie in the seventies. But you still put the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh as your number one movie in the seventies. It's also that's, real funny, and that's okay. I mean, I'm not going to badmouth you for putting a family movie on a kids movie. I mean, but you had Muppet Movie, great movie. Willy Wonka, great movie. Um, this isn't even a movie. This is this is a collection of previously released shorts. You picked, I asked you for your favorite movie of the 1970s. I can sit here for a half hour and just list off acceptable movies that weren't even mentioned tonight. And you picked reruns of a cartoon show for your number one movie of the 70s. That's not okay. That's not okay. Where's my therapy movie? I need therapy now. What Winnie the Pooh cartoon do I need to watch to get over this? 
Is doing a Howard Beal impression? Is that what's happening right now? He's mad as I hell. I feel like no one needs me to poop more in his life than Kirk does right now. He oh wants to God, the maybe. You take maybe. A I don't know. Yeah, the thing is, the animation isn't even good. It's like bad 70s animation. <laughs> There's so much wrong with his pick. Anybody else, go ahead and say what you got to say. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to badmouth it. I haven't seen this since I was like probably 10 years old. So I, I feel like my opinion on it is not very well formed. I should have watched it for this. I, I totally forgot about Zach's. I honestly forgot that, that this was in the 70s. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember liking it, but it's like, again, I was 10 years old and it was Winnie the Pooh, so I, I liked it. So I, I can't really say. I, I, You know, a lot of the movies that Zach has, has sort of talked about in this vein, I ended up really loving, especially something like Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So I, I, I mean, I'm open to rewatching it and, and potentially discovering something new inside of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I also, it's been so long. So, I mean, the way you described it, I mean, is great. So, I mean, it's interesting. I, I just, I, I don't even know if I've seen it. You know, it's like, I know I watched Winnie the Pooh as a kid, but I'm not sure if I even saw this specific film. I can't remember. So I can't speak too much about it, but uh, it's an it, interesting pick. It's fun to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you've piqued my interest in a lot of the stuff you said to kind of go back and, uh, and rewatch it uh, in a new context, because some of them, it had been a little bit of a, uh, of time, but this one, I'm not even sure I ever saw the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Well, there are many of them, yeah, I, so it's a lot to, to go through. Yeah, I'm saying, way, like, I know I've seen, I know I've seen Winnie the Pooh, I know I've seen Winnie the Pooh stuff. Like, I'm not sure if I've seen this specific <laughs> like collection of stuff, but I also haven't seen this since I was like a young kid. Um, I, I watched a different animated movie from the 70s from a Japanese director. I think it might come on the list. I completely forgot about this one as well. So, yeah. um, you know what? You guys can all go watch you know, Network and Taxi Driver and <laughs> think about how much you hate the world you live on. And instead, I'll take deep breaths and relax. Those are fictional and, worlds, man. You know, those are fictional. <laughs> you know? Helps me feel better about our world. It's even worse than ours. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I got to say thank you, Zach, because it wouldn't be one of my episodes – if I didn't have a rant and everybody else's picks were really good up until now. So at least you gave us that. <laughs> They're really good. And mine is like amazing. And the best pick you could possibly have. So. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Um, Brendan, fix this for us. What's your number one? Uh, I'm going to go. All right. I'll, I'll go again. Uh, you know, uh, I kind of alluded to it all the way through, but it's, I'm going with it. It's, it's interesting. Cause I had this a little bit lower. Uh, this is when I watched the second time, it went off the top and it is the Godfather. I'm going with it. The best film of the seventies. Um, I think that, this is, works that with, is also my number one. By the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Oh. Well, there you go. Oh, okay. Well, uh, th for me with, with, you know, it's kind of like, it was interesting to hear Paul talk about how he, he liked being with the family and how God, and so it's like, it's splitting hairs cause they're both great films. But when I watch them again, the reason why I think The Godfather is better is that as much as I love the father and son dichotomy, there's a focus and a drive to The Godfather. And, you know, it's funny because you hear about Brando so much, but that Pacino arc in The Godfather just was came through so clear when I watched it. And it just that's what made it go so up for me is just the idea of him at the beginning in that army suit trying to be, you know, army uniform, trying to look so different. From his family and the way that his things that happened to his father and, and you know it's when you see the whole picture the way he is sucked into the world um is just wonderful and i just i love every performance in it. i love duvall james khan brando is fantastic and what is his supporting role i think i know that that's something that people talk about a lot it is a supporting role but uh pacino is just this is so fantastic uh i, I you know everything that he goes through and to me, it's just that opening shot that, uh, you know, that pull back. I, I could just talk about it 
for days. This is the one I've never seen on the big screen. I hope I get to at one point. Um, but yeah, for me, this is just the one I go, I go back to the most of all of these. You know, we talked about character arcs and atmosphere and big themes that are still relevant today. And I just feel like The Godfather, it just has all of it for me. And and like I said, there's a, there's movies I could list that are talked about as the greatest of all time that don't get there for me. But every time I go back to The Godfather, I'm like, yep, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is also my number one. Uh, it, it had to be for me. Um, also, people in chat are mentioning like, Star Wars. Like as soon as this uh, panel was put together, there's no chance Star Wars yeah. is going to be on the uh, <laughs> list now. <laughs> um, yeah. Like you said, like the when you mentioned at the at the start where like he's in the soldier suit where he says like that's my family. Okay, that's not me. It's like man, you just have no idea what's in store yeah, for you. Right, like right. <laughs> um, the the scene in the uh, the restaurant uh, and as it's like closing in on Pacino's face and he's deciding that is, I could watch that scene just every day. It, it's honestly brilliant. Um, yeah, like I, I love that he goes off and just the many, it's like, this is the many adventures of Michael Corleone. He goes yeah. off on <laughs> in Sicily. <laughs> in Sicily, it has like a whole- actually just the collection of uh, the TV show. <laughs> yeah. This is not even a movie. This is not a movie. This was the collection of Michael Corleone shorts strung together. They threw Brando in there after the fact. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love, I love we go to LA, we meet uh, the movie producer and we oh, see yeah. like the horse, it, it, obviously mm. iconic stuff. And I th there's, uh, Everyone, if everyone knows the YouTube channel as uh, Cinefix, uh, they they talk about the way at the end when they're sort of, oh, I'm blanking on the dude's name, the one who comes up to them at the funeral and asks, and he's the one that gets whacked at the end outside uh, of the compound. Tessio. Yes, that's right. Tessio they, was as, always as, smarter. As, yeah, yeah, and it's like it's the right play. He comes out, and all of a sudden the camera pans out, and then just in one second there's five people surrounding him, and yeah, and he's he, he's yeah. Uh, he, he's done. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's the Godfather. It's just yeah. incredible. I just I it's so rewatchable, and like you said, it's a bit tighter than the first movie, which is why I think I put it just a tad above part two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um i won't go on too much about this everybody knows it's my favorite just my number one we did the top 100 um but yeah the movie there's no i mean it's there's not a wasted frame on this movie there's zero fat uh i watch i've been watching this movie for over 20 years regularly and i call, i <laughs> i call, uh, i guess clemens is too not apocalypse uh, now fat though <laughs> but uh <laughs> But it's uh, yeah, it's it, I watch every time I watch it. I'm discovering new things. Uh, you could watch different characters from different point of views and different perspectives, and get something different out of the performance and their part of the story. Um, it's so deep. It's so rich. It is kind of cliche to say it's the greatest movie of all time, but that's because it is. Uh, yeah, it's it, and that that scene of the restaurant, uh, Michael, is my favorite scene of all time in any movie. It's so good. Um, Zach and Paul, why do you guys like to be wrong? <laughs> So um, I I um, I said it's getting late at night, and so my memory be maybe betraying me. But as far as I can remember, um, there's no scene of Marlon Brando in a small red shirt with his head stuck in a honey pot. Um, and That's so, a again, a am, I, am I right? Okay, so, uh, so I'll take. <laughs> um, I, I really like The Godfather, and um, I said I have watched this one somewhat recently. I think this is. You know, same thing I said with Godfather 2. Sometimes I want to be cooler than I am. I think Ray, like Ray the Pooh is cooler than like Godfather. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, it, but it's, it's you know, hyper-engaging. And um, 
a you know great family saga more than a mobster saga and, and i am you know moved by some of the relationship of mobster families and how close they are and, and that's a you know weird thing they could do with material that's so dark um and so i i, I do really like and i love the godfather it just you know didn't make my list See, the movie was pretty good, but then I thought about it, and I was like, what is Michael Corleone doing between when he gets home from the war and the wedding? They said he hasn't been up to much. This guy's so lazy. Get off your ass and do something He's like that. Um, <laughs> lots of sex. Lots of sex. Um, but no, I mean, was this yeah. the many, not all his adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess not. Um, many of them, but not all of them. But I mean, this is one of my favorite movies. I just I knew it was going to be on there. I just didn't, you know. I, I, I There was other movies I would rather talk about, um, but it's, I, I love it. I love you know, doing Jack Waltz's voice and yelling cartoon and doing all this kind of shit. Um, Let me tell you something, my crowd. Just eating his veal at the restaurant, like yeah. asking them, yeah. is there anything good here? Like it's a freaking Italian restaurant, like <laughs> shut up, Sterling Hayden. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible, fun, weirdly fun movie, weirdly funny movie too. I love all the different characters. I think Carlo kind of gives a rough performance. Don't love that actor, what he's doing. Um, yeah, the the, 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 the punch. The yeah, punch the punch is, son, is, is, is the only, he's only flaw in, yeah. the, in the movie. The knuckle, like, like, I, I, again, I love this movie. Um, I just want to talk about other movies, and yeah. it probably would have been like my number three, realistically, in terms of like personal favorites of the seventies. But you know, I made a choice. Uh, excluded a lot of movies that probably would have been on my list, and this is one of them. But yeah, great. I mean, well, I, it's the Godfather. Not a lot of original things to say about. I probably should include a list because it does star, um, you know, one of our our good friends in the community, Lucas Schelbach, play, playing playing oh, yeah. crazy, very truly yeah, the character Schilbach. Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine. <laughs> <That> <laughs> is his, 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 his olive oil voice in Guinea Jungle. All right, before we uh, before we uh, wrap everything up with our final list, uh, let's bring in our producer. He's going to tell us about some things going on. There he is. Can I get here? Hi. No, I'm I'm used to hiding in my hidey hole behind the scenes. All right. Announcements next week. Um, Caleb Boatman taking the hosting chair for Cody Newberry movies about movies. Uh, the lists are due tonight. So mm -hmm. if you haven't sent your lists to Caleb Boatman, do that right now. Um, and uh, we will let you know pretty soon. Uh, for or at least Boatman will if you're on the show. Week after that is me. Uh, best film scores, those are going to be due next week when Boatman is hosting the show. I need your lists for best film scores. Uh, no comic book movies because of an announcement coming in a little bit. So all mm -hmm. film scores, no comic books. Um, September 23rd is best movie scenes at the 2010s. Again, no comic books. Mm -hmm. uh, but Cody Newberry will be back, uh, regularly scheduled host mm -hmm. once again. Uh, then September 30th, I get to do it again. Uh, best musicals, uh, stage or screen represented by one song. Uh, then we are doing top 40 comic book movie scenes series mm -hmm. for uh, the starting the beginning of October. Uh, Cody has his panel for that. That is Nick Carley, Nick Tuig, Robert Parker, and uh, blanking. Uh, I, I said both the Knicks, right? Scully. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Scully is the other one. There we go. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, send your list to Beltman. I'm going back to the producer. Hey, before you go, Coho, come back. Uh, hi. Do I do combined list or grades first? Uh, individuals first, and then we'll do combined. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up here, guys. Thanks so much for sticking around. It was a really long episode tonight. Had a lot of fun, a lot of movies we all wanted to talk about. It was kind of hang up, hang on episode. A little bit different vibe than we usually do, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you for sticking around. Um, let's give out some grades. Um, for the most part, everybody did all right. Um, in first place tonight is uh, Brendan Meyer. I'm going to give you an A minus. Uh, right. uh, yeah. 
Brendan uh, and I hadn't met before tonight, so you can't uh, accuse him of pandering, but he did have Godfather, Godfather 2. Uh, he had Tax Driver on there, a lot of good movies. Only really shortcomings here on the list. I'm not a big fan of Cabaret. Days of Heaven, I thought, was maybe a little high, um, but otherwise, there's nothing on that list to complain about. Uh, let's go I rode to Coppola. There we go. I leaned into the Coppola and it worked out. Um, I'm basic. Okay. Uh, second place. Um, I'm going to put Michael at a solid B. Uh, Michael also had some really good, uh, just standard fare. A um, couple movies I hadn't seen. I can't blame him for being Australian. Uh, so walk about and wake up right. I can't take away from him. Um, but he had Jaws on there. Barry Lyndon, a lot of good movies. Uh, Paul Young also gets a B. Um, very good list. Uh, you know, uh, Blue Collar, Network, uh, Suspiria, all, all good stuff. A lot of good stuff on the list. Zach, your 10th through, <laughs> through two, you were looking good. Uh, you probably put it somewhere up with these guys. Um, I can't let that number one slide. Um, I'd say without that, blank that out, I'm probably going to give you like uh, B minus. Um, that took you down. You, you, you get a C minus, so tonight your list sucks. <laughs> And uh, let's take a look at our combined top 10 of the yearless sucks uh, 1970s movies. Number 10, Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. Number 9, yes. Godfather Part 2. Number 8, Halloween. Number 7, Breaking Away. Number 6, All the President's Men. Number 5, is Zach Rooney, My Show. Number 4, Network. Number 3, Days of Heaven. Number 2, Tax Driver. And number 1 is The Godfather. All right, guys, we'll cut out. It's been a long night. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being here. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Had a great time. We'll see you next time. My God, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lawyer up, asshole. Because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. You get what you fucking deserve! Turn to your lady friend. Duncan, please return to your lady friend. No. That king. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> <laughs>